Greetings, this is Todd Olson, Eldritch Emeritus, calling from Minneapolis, and I'm enrolled in the Miskatonic University podcast. Go Pods! It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 73. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft related role playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper John. In this episode, we look through an, a new offering from Chiasium that walks us through the ages. And I'm Keeper Chad. For the main topic, we're going to roll some dice, this time a little differently. And we're going to start things off as usual. In our campus crier. Miskatonic University campus crier. Campus crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's going to go through feedback and news to share. This episode's being recorded on March 1st of 2015. First up... The Masks of Nair Lothotep Companion on Kickstarter has nine days left on it. They are now officially 20,000 pounds over their funding goal. Nice. They needed six, and they have 26. That's awesome. So, That's yes. Great. Yeah, it's great. So, uh, it's, it, for those who have been following this on YSDC for about a decade, it's really nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. It does seem like that, right? Yeah. I mean, not terribly far from that. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing to see this finally come to fruition. And obviously, they've had, you know, 10 years to drum up enthusiasm. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has paid off. And also, on the latest episode of The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, they actually had a whole episode devoted to masks and this companion, so I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah. They interview a couple of folks who are uh, key contributors to uh, to the companion as well. So, yeah, definitely take a listen to uh, to the latest episode of uh, Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Absolutely. should be listening to them anyway, just because it's good. So, yeah, go on in there, take a look, and the Kickstarter only has... Nine days left on it, so if you're interested, time's running short. Next up, the Golden Geek Awards. Uh, we were we were uh, uh, up for a nomination. Victorious. Yeah, we were not victorious. We were, we were nominated. Uh, Call Cthulhu and Horror on the Orient Express came in as runners-up for Game of the Year and Best Supplement categories. And uh, congrats to Chaosium and the uh, winning podcast and all those who voted our way. 
uh, we do greatly appreciate it. It really was an honor to be nominated because of the uh, huge field of podcasts that we were in. And it wasn't like we were segmented into uh, horror podcasts or anything like that. I mean, we were in with all podcasts. So yeah, so just Role to be RPG podcasts. Yeah, RPG podcasts. So just to be nominated, that really was an honor. So yeah, yeah. we recognize that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And the the actual winner in the podcast field i hadn't uh heard of previously but the two runners up were ken and robin talk about stuff and fear the boot both of which have uh, really really big followings yeah yeah fear the boot has this huge legacy and ken and robin sort of took podcasting game podcasting by storm when they yeah uh, started so yeah pretty good company board life with radio board with life radio did any does anybody know about that? Never heard of it. Okay. But I'm intrigued to check it out now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I went to their page in Golden Geek just to, or in uh, BoardGameGeek.com just to see what it was. And it actually says that they're a board game podcast. I'm not sure why they were in the RPG category. So they must have a lot of RPG content to qualify. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, it must be good if they got that many votes. Yeah. You know, they beat out Ken and Robin and Fear the Boot. They've got to be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, people have got to be listening to them, so it's worth Yeah. Worth, exactly. Uh, lending an ear. And the uh the Chaosium items that were up, you know, the Call of Cthulhu stuff that was in the running basically just got beat out by D&D 5th edition stuff, which I hear is really well produced. So, you know, it's not too surprising that that behemoth, you know, pushed out yeah, yeah I exactly. Up, I picked up a couple of those books. They look nice. I haven't had a chance to play yet, but they look really, really nice, and they they read very well. So I'm, it uh, reminded me very much of the original stuff that I grew up with. So I liked it. A lot. Yeah, yeah. And I hear really good things about how the rule set works. Mm-hmm. That it it they finally did what was necessary to really bring the best of all the worlds together. They actually did it. <laughs> Like wow, yeah, that I'm, wasn't likely to happen, but they did I'm, it. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be great. I'm actually to to my extreme surprise, am going to be involved, going to be playing in a campaign. So cool, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I haven't played D and D in more than a decade, at least, and and that was only a, a short campaign. So uh, yeah, so we'll that'll be interesting. I'm playing yeah. a, uh, a wood elf mage, so <laughs> can't believe it. <laughs> that's awesome yeah then next up we've got the curse of nineveh a london uh campaign that was a part of the stretch goals for cthulhu britannica kickstarter and so that's now been sent out to uh backers of that uh, campaign they've now gotten their copies of it and the promo and... text i noticed says don't worry you'll be able to pre-order your own copy very uh, if you missed out on the kickstarter you can, you'll be able to pre-order soon so uh, okay it'll be available for the public at large i'm pretty excited about this the the reference to nineveh is uh, is kind of surprising and definitely in the promo materials you can see uh these bearded assyrian lions so they look like they're in museums because it is a london based thing Mm-hmm. I also see tents and trappings of ancient Iraq, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting to get reviews out for this and you know what it's like. For sure, it looks cool. I, I've got other than the, uh, 
I just could not afford to get into the to the Kickstarter for the London box yeah. set. So that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to when it finally hits a shelf. But um, I've got all the other uh, Cthulhu Britannica stuff, and uh, uh, I think it's really cool. I love what they've done as far as when they when they produce these Britannica books. They put in from the scenario aspects when they're when they're poaching the scenarios. They do multiple uh, eras. Uh, which actually will kind of roll forward into uh, what we'll be talking about later. But they always have uh, something that'll be, I would consider, uh, a Dark Ages and a Gaslight, as well as a, uh, uh, a 20s or 30s uh, uh, scenario as well. So um, I really, really like the uh, uh, Britannica stuff. I think yeah. probably my favorite book of them is the uh, Folklore. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a really good book. Cool. I got to play in the Shadows Over Scotland mm-hmm. uh, local group here. Um, we played in a couple of scenarios. So I haven't seen the material itself, but both scenarios were really fun. So it's I can pretty, recommend that. Pretty slick stuff. Mm-hmm. And then next up, we've got The Dreams of Witch House, the uh, Lovecraftian rock opera, yes. has, is being revisited and expanded. And has included some uh, named folks like Kiss guitarist uh, Bruce Kulik, Wasp lead guitarist Douglas Blair, uh, actor Stefan Salk, because he was in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and heavy metal cellist Tina Gao. And um, they're redoing some of the Dreams of the Witch House stuff in anticipation of... The production as the concept album is now being developed into a motion picture. Oh, get out of here. oh my god, I didn't know that. That is awesome. Are you kidding you guys, me? You guys can't hear, but I'm nope. actually air guitaring right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is the album done by the HPLHS. That's great. And uh it's apparently gotten some really good reviews of Fing uh Let's see. It was called A Dark Evocative Musical Journey by Fangoria Magazine and A Masterpiece by XXL Rock, which I'm guessing is another magazine or a uh, website. And somebody liked it if it's being adapted into a a movie. That's great. And so, so weird. Yeah. (laughs) This is a mashup of, of media and genres and niche interests i love it man this is awesome yeah and they're adding new songs and motor hits mickey d on drums Uh uh-huh yeah there's gonna be more recording in uh, sweden with the motorhead drumist and yeah it's it's just really weird to see this going in this direction but there it is that's That's hilarious hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) yep in stereo, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I just wanted to share another shot from uh, this year's Toy Fair that it just happened of the 12-inch Cthulhu from Warpo. There's another good shot of it that actually has, you know, like the uh, investigator figure, you know, clutched in his hands. And it just it was just another shot, so I thought I'd share it out there. Pretty was, wicked. Yep. And I love the forced perspective. He looks really huge. Yeah. 
yeah, you can see a convention center in the background. And you're like, oh, he's towering over those stairs. I love the yeah, red eyes. It, yeah. And it says pliable gripping hands. So I think what they are is they're kind of rubbery material with wires in, in them that you can pose the hands. Yeah. Well, it's gripping that, that one guy there. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, it'll either be that or just the plastic will be slightly soft enough that it moves without being so rigid that you couldn't move the fingers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and these figures, I mean, they look amazing. My local comic shop got in the full set and, uh, I, I haven't actually, I don't have mine in possession yet, but I set aside one of each and, uh, I'm going to pick them up one at a time, uh, over the course of several weeks, but if mine are set aside. I'm going to pick them up. Cool. Yeah. This, this, uh, 12 incher is something I've really got to have on my shelf. He's awesome. Yeah. He looks pretty cool. Uh, and any of our comic fans, uh, out there might, uh, might know if you're a regular comic book collector, uh, comic books are distributed by a company called Diamond. Uh, and Diamond also has a, uh, like a, a subcategory or sub line of things that they do called Diamond Select Toys. Uh, so brand new in the Diamond Select Toy line is a Cthulhu vinyl bank. Um, yep. <laughs> it looks like the Cthulhu idol yep. as kind of described yep. by Lovecraft. The squatting, and, uh, yep, the squatting Cthulhu yeah. thing. Yeah. It looks really cool. It's in a green with gray shadowing and it's on a it's on a gray pedestal and everything. It looks really, really cool. Yeah. So. And he's only like twenty three bucks. Yeah. So I think that's so he's really not cool. all that expensive, so and this, I mean, banks have kind of, you know, been a little bit of a thing. I mean, the, uh, the, these diamond select, they've got, uh, well, the link that we'll have in the, in the show notes will, people will be able to see it. You know, there's, uh, some vinyl banks for Batman and Godzilla and a couple from the alien, uh, franchise line. So, uh, they're kind of, kind of becoming a, a thing or whatever right now. But yeah, that's going to be a really cool looking, uh, bank of Cthulhu's. <laughs> That'll be kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. These banks are actually big enough that they just kind of double as inexpensive statues to put up. Yeah. Statues that if you have children can be knocked over onto the floor and they won't get busted. Exactly. But I, they've got a full body Godzilla that I'm looking at. I'm like, yeah, I want that. Or I'm the, looking at the alien egg with face hugger. I, that's yeah. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome looking. Yeah, there's an alien warrior bust, but the uh, the egg is awesome. Yeah, I think the egg's my favorite. Yeah, the egg is. I bought some of. Yeah, I bought some of the uh, refrigerator magnets of uh, eggs and face huggers from Jason. uh, Ah, Cryptocurium. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, A few years ago, buddy, uh, well, my my buddy that owns a comic shop, uh, he got me as a Christmas present. A, a slee stack vinyl bank. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. His mouth is where you can uh, insert the coins, and then to get the coins out, his whole head will pop off, and you just dump his body out, get all the, <laughs> get all the coins out. Uh, but yeah, it's it's awesome. It's a slee stack. Like, this is awesome. You got to take a picture of that sometime. I want to see that. All right, I will. Those guys creep me out as a kid. <laughs> I know. Yeah, totally. 
And Cassium has released another um, product that had been covered in the 7th edition Kickstarter. Yep. Cthulhu Through the Ages is out. Yes. Interesting document. Is this going to be yeah. PDF only, or do we know if a hard copy's coming out? I can't recall. I, I actually asked Mike, and he said uh, eventually. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. And yeah, we it's kind of on the slate, but not prioritized. Uh, and that's fine. I, I think. Yeah, I think for a document or for a uh, the, for what this is, I think PDF is is a is a fantastic format for it. And we'll go further into this later in the show as we're going to uh, mm-hmm. kind of go through this. So uh, look for yep. that a little later. Cthulhu through the ages. Yep. But it was released for free for backers of seventh edition, and then. They currently have it on half price on the Chaosium website, so buy it for like seven and a half bucks. Yep, yep, yep. I got mine for free. Uh, so Fantasy Flight Games has a series of uh, role-playing games coming out called their End of the World series. Uh, the first one came out uh, first quarter of this year, and it's uh, the Zombie Apocalypse uh, role-playing game. Uh, okay. Uh, the next one coming out soon is Wrath of the Gods. And this is going to have, well, Cthulhu is on the cover of this book. Uh, but it's, it's also, uh, it could be, uh, 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 Nordic, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the world snake that, uh, Thor and the mm-hmm. most gods fought. I mean, this, uh, Wrath of the Gods book will be, uh, basically any type of, Deity driven uh, apocalypse that that your characters uh, would be uh, surviving. I'm actually running the first game in the series, the Zombie Apocalypse. I'm actually running a group of players from work. Uh, we're we're going through this, and it's neat because the four players, since we're all coworkers, I've started the adventure uh, as if we were at work. Because in this in this end of the world series, little hook in it is that you're uh, playing a version of yourself. Uh, so so they were all, you know, we were all at the office and then the apocalypse began and now they're having to uh, survive and escape uh, our office building and then, you know, go on from there. It's very, I'm trying to run it very sandboxy, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to probably pick up all of the books. There'll be four books in this series total. Um, Zombie Apocalypse, the uh, Wrath of the Gods, the uh, second one. Uh, I'm trying to think what the others are. Let me see. I know there's one with robots. Yeah. One with aliens, maybe. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think there's the robot apocalypse, and then aliens. I believe. But anyways, I think they're going to do one a quarter this year, and I believe these are based awesome. on, um, based on a, a Spanish um, series of games. So, yeah, the four, the, here they are. The four titles will be, uh, Zombie Apocalypse, which is out, Wrath of the Gods, which is coming out soon, Alien Invasion, and Revolt of the Machines. So there you go. Nice. Although one thing, you know, uh, someone actually, uh, uh, asked me this question on Google Plus, which I, I hadn't considered until, until it was raised. Because these all use the same, uh, basic rules engine, and it's just being reskinned. He said, "Are you basically beyond the first book? Are you then basically paying 
full cover price for scenarios. And I was like, huh, unless they do anything unique per book, rules-wise, I think that might be true. You might be re-getting the exact yeah, same combat and, and character generation stuff and just having to, uh, you're paying for, for the new scenarios. But to be fair, uh, in the, in the zombie one, there was like 10 different scenarios or mm. uh, eight, eight to 10 scenarios. So, so pretty it was a yeah, lot. I don't really see that as a big deal. It's like, okay, so what if they have all have the same rule set? That's, I don't care. That would basically, you're buying the books as a, okay, I, this book is covering the theme of that particular setting mm-hmm. and it goes into detail with it and, and it has scenarios in there. Yeah. It's not like they're redoing all the text. No, no. And the, uh, the, the, I find that it's a very light and fast, uh, rule set. Um, not to, I don't want to go too long on this, but, but it's simply D6s. You just simply use a, a pool, a dice pool of positive and negative, uh, dice. You throw your pool, you eliminate any matches between positives and negatives. And then once the matches are eliminated, you look at your end result of positives and negatives. And then, uh, X number of remaining dice has certain influences on the story that you're telling as well. So it's a very, uh, they call it a storytelling game. So it's very much more about the narrative that you're doing and you throw Mm -hmm. occasional, uh, dice, you know, challenges or whatever tests that you're, that you're doing. But for the most part, it's just a narrative. It's just, we're finding a lot of fun with it and, and, uh, and like the aspect that you're playing a version of yourself and, uh, and you can have it set in familiar settings. Like we're doing it at the office and, uh, that's where the, that's where the, the apocalypse is beginning for us and, and having to, to go from there. So, and we're recording the, uh, the gameplay. So hopefully we'll start hearing them soon in our, uh, uh live feed. Yeah. I just got to get that processed and ready for the, uh, feed. Cool. Then we have, I'm going to give this a shot here. Appel de Cthulhu 7e edition Francais. That's, that's yeah, kind of, yeah. That sounded a bit Canadian. I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) The seventh edition French version of Call of Cthulhu is being uh, crowdfunded. And this is on a French uh, site here that's Ulule. U-L-U-L-E. I'm not, that's actually harder to pronounced than anything else in here it's uh like but uh ululations right like an ululation yeah only only with two of them yes it looks it looks amazing it looks like it's going to come in a slip cover uh yeah art prints it looks like it's going to have you know the uh the keeper book the investigator book uh yeah, it looks like is that a print or maybe that'll be a uh, a screen. I don't know if that'll be a screen or not, but it's beautiful. Um, well, it looks like one of their stretch goals or whatever will be a uh, uh, a zip drive, a little thumb drive. Yeah, but yeah, they it's not easy to 
to decipher all this because, well, obviously none of us speak French, but well, there are maps. I want that pen. <laughs> if you speak French, then translate some of this stuff. Come on, speak oh, up. Damn. <laughs> well, there's a quote there. Um, ne pas mort que ce que a jamais d'or et au long des cycles peut mourir même la mort. That means uh, that which does not die. Oh, hell. <laughs> it's the quote from Lovecraft, and I can't even get yeah. it right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Even death may die. Uh, so has some... it been a little while since your class oh, hell. Chad? It's, uh, yes. Yes. I love the, uh, they've got a Cthulhu uh, symbol. I think it's supposed to represent Cthulhu with tentacles and whatnot. That looks awesome. They're putting that on dice. There's a there's a yeah, a ballpoint pen that they're doing. I like that pen. Yeah, the pen looks nice. That is really this, nice. You know, the slipcase editions that they're doing with this look beautiful. Uh, I know uh, Mike Mason answered a question. Uh, I forget what. I think it was on our forums. Uh, he answered a question someone was wondering about, but he confirmed that the artist for this French edition um, for the for the at least for the monsters. Uh, is the same artist that was commissioned uh, for the American version, and in fact, he's they're reusing those same images. So, at least for the French edition, nice. the American edition, uh, the monster section will have the same artwork, and you can see that uh, as you're if you scroll through this, uh, and when you get to areas with uh, with creatures uh, pictured, uh, you'll go, oh, I, I mm-hmm. recognize that deep one from the seventh edition. Yep. It's an amazing looking Yithian. Oh my gosh, that looks awesome. So, love, 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 love the art. It's just yeah. amazing. And I, uh, I I wish some of these things would be available outside of the the whole thing. You know, the dice are beautiful. That pen. I really like the uh, atlas and maps, too. Those yeah. are Oh my gosh. Those are sweet. I'd have to have those translated, but uh, mm-hmm. the you know they've done a really nice job with this campaign. So yeah. I have to have those dice. Fear have the dice translated too. So, oh, so. <laughs> if you're a completist collector, or if you actually understand French, you know, take a look at this thing in the show notes. It uh, is that Chad. Is that twenty three hours left on it? For days. Hang on. It says uh, we're, we're at the 23 jours. Yeah. Jure, that's 23. days. Jure. Okay. Okay, good. I was, it, it was. It looked like hours. Like, and I'm like, right. oh, crap. <laughs> it's at, like, <laughs> no, er, yeah. uh, hours, like, H-E-U-R. Okay. Oh, God, X. Uh, there's an X in there. I can't remember. <laughs> did, did I hear a niner? What was that? Nope. No. <laughs> Never mind. No, but uh, John, um, if you want me to translate those dice for you, I can do that. Oh, good. Yeah. Yep. The uh, the French nine is so obtuse. I just have a hard time. <laughs> Actually, I wonder about that. The one is not a French one, so you know. Oh what? Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. I wonder what which one they replace the symbol with though. Right. Probably the six. That's what's 
Yeah, so I think probably the, the highest the highest number on each of the uh, yeah, yeah. I see yeah. I see ones the, the yeah. high one. I and like on the, the symbol now. I do like the symbol, and on the yeah. four sided die, yeah, just one of the fours at the peak is uh, is the symbol. And we've got the other two fours, but I think um, all the other dice, the highest, the highest digit is replaced. Yeah, right. that's the most common way of doing yeah. it. Cool stuff, wicked. I'm glad the uh, that link's available. Chad, what's this about science? Oh, I'm still <laughs> looking at French things. Uh, yes, science. Oh, right. So I don't know. Uh, some people may remember. I think in the card catalog we had a few weeks ago. This blog called Lovecraftian Science, where a guy sort of deconstructs and explores things like non-Euclidean geometry and what it actually means and uh, compares different you know pieces of the literature. Well, it turns out he's having a Kickstarter. And to expand the blog, it is actually a Kickstarter for a blog, which I think is interesting. Um, and to add some art. So check that out. We'll have the the link in the show notes. But yeah, it's uh, some of the some of the test art is looking really nice, and I would love to see this guy get supported because it's incredible, great science writing, but you know through the lens of Lovecraftian fiction. So fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was just browsing through the latest article they put up there of. The ecological impacts of the color out of space. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're running a scenario that's using a color, then I highly recommend going to this because it's showing like mutated animals in the area. Like there's a mutated rabbit that's creepy as all get out and foxes and plants and it's just like wow this is bizarre and really really horrific <laughs> yeah he's got art there from michael bukowski uh-huh yog blocks blog soft and i just found a new bunny for my evil bunnies collection <laughs> it's got like the six, you know, ten spider eyes, double ears, and a little vestigial face coming out of its chest. So that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just really messed up and ugh. pinned to Pinterest. <laughs> <It's just> creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but the Kickstarter is funded. Has uh, 28 days to go on it, so yeah, he's basically looking at getting uh, this. It looks like there's going to be a kind of a collection, a collected volume of the Journal of Lovecraftian Science, and so that's pretty awesome. I think I want this. And, And the pledges are really not that expensive. Mm-hmm. Twelve, twelve dollars gets you a digital copy. Twenty dollars gets you uh, the hard copy chapbook. Twenty-five yep. for uh, let's see. Oh, he's got an extra chapbook of the biology of elder things. Yeah, I saw that note. Pretty that interesting. Pretty cool. That sounds pretty awesome. It's a great, it's a fun way. He does teach science by doing this. It's it's a fun you know doorway uh, into some of these things. 
Something tells me he's yeah. a scientist. Yeah, I forget what his background is. I, I think you're right. Does he say in his little bio? Uh, I don't know. I didn't check that part out. I am scrolling through his uh, blog, and there's a neat uh, section on uh, radium cleansers. <laughs> so I guess over-the-counter back in you know the 20s or whatever, people could buy a, a, a cream that was, I guess, being touted as a type of uh, a soap or cleanser, uh, and it's it has radium in it. And so, you know, the, the little uh, tag on it said, takes everything off but the skin. I'm like, are you sure? You know? <laughs> and then just past that are uh, two actual photographs of people. I mean, you can see, you know, from clothing and yeah. they're dated, you know, quite a ways back. And, you know, people who are suffering from radium poisoning. And this woman's got like a giant bulbous goiter a, on her, it's a goiter yeah, on her thing chin. On her chin, yeah. It's pretty and the guy's cheek is like halfway eaten yeah, away. Open sores. Oh, this is amazing. I love it. You know, there used to be a face cream uh, that was that was uh, had radioactive material in it <laughs> as a uh, as a cosmetic, as a way to like enhance your youth. Oh, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I'm glad his uh, Kickstarter was successful. This is a really awesome blog. Yeah, absolutely. This is cool. All right. What's next up on? Ah, comic book. Case file Arkham graphic novel. Uh, It's a hard-boiled detective story set in uh, H.P. Lovecraft's Arkham. Yep, and... uh... This is, of course, another Kickstarter project. It is the season. Yep. It's produced so. by Team Kaiju, but uh, yeah, it looks like it's uh, it's almost made its its uh, uh, pledge goal of eight thousand. So as we're looking at it this morning, it's at nearly seven thousand with nineteen days to go. So I feel pretty confident that this is probably going to uh, hit its mark. And this is another one where the pledge levels are fairly inexpensive. I think uh, mm-hmm. for fifteen dollars, you get fifteen uh, books. Gives yeah, it gives you an actual physical yeah. book, uh, and it gives you the digital as well. Yeah. So, and if you go, if you pledge above that, you'll get some of the uh, some of the stretch goal stuff uh, that they're doing. They've got. Uh, Mini prints uh, from Patrick McAvoy, and uh, uh, I recognize some of the art uh, uh, from this on these mini prints from Patrick McAvoy. This is artwork used in uh, some of the Fantasy Flights uh, games, you know, Lovecraftian games. I recognize the uh, Ithaca, uh, Yig, and also Narlathotep. So uh, I've seen those images in uh, the uh, Eldritch Horror board game, which again we'll talk about later on in the show. But there's uh, bookmarks hmm. and uh, window stickers and shop glasses and just all kinds of commissioned uh, sketches can be done. So all kinds of neat add ons are available. Yeah. So pop on over and take a look. It's even if you're just covering just for the comic, I mean, 15 bucks for a graphic novel is 
pretty darn cheap, actually. They're usually about double that. And it's really nice black and white line art uh, artwork. And it it's very well, cool. It, it has a very strong noir feel. So especially, you know, yeah. the, uh, the writing and the storyline uh, story is supposed to be uh, 1940s. So that's very noir as far as tone. The artwork uh, supports it by being just black and white. And it's, it's really nice, stark, uh, deep shadows, lots of blacks, and you know, clever use of the white, some negative space. And I love, I love the art. I think it looks amazing. So uh, they, it's a, it looks like it's a really good creative team. Um, you know, it's hard to judge the writing until you get to read it, but it just, I like the concept. And uh, with a concept like that, I, uh, you know, it, it just feels like it would be hopefully well written, and, and the art is beautiful. So uh, I think this would—it's uh, well worth getting into this Kickstarter for sure. Yeah, looks like good stuff. Yeah. Then I wanted to do a quick call out for uh, what we would love to see in the future is. Some uh, listener-submitted segments. Um, Basically, what I was thinking is, for those of you that have been in the community for a long time, and you remember on Yogg Radio where uh, Pookie would record and send in reviews of stuff, or Adam Gauntlet with the bookshelf where he's doing book reviews, you know, anything like that. Uh, Game, book, movie, toy reviews, uh a skill of the day segment, go through seventh edition and just talk about a skill for a few minutes. It would be uh, just really cool to have additional segments from the community just to kind of make it a broader range than just us talking all the time. Bringing a couple other voices would be fantastic. So, you know, if you've got an idea for doing something and you want to record it up, it doesn't have to be, anything extravagant you don't have to worry about putting sound effects or any of that in there i can do that type of stuff and just prep it ahead of time but uh it would be you know if you have something in mind that you would like to do you know reach out to me and uh talk to us so we can kind of coordinate and see if it would work with the show because i just would love to get more of the community actually in the production itself. Yeah, I think that would be amazing. And, and uh, you know, we want to hear your voice, but um, uh, Dan, would this be something available to you? If someone just did not have the ability or just did not want to record their voice, uh, would we accept uh, uh, ideas for like a skill of the day? And then we could, we could do the uh, conversation and credit them. Um, or just ask, I don't know if anybody would be that opposed to uh, to being recorded or or just not have the equipment. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you don't want to do this audio production kind of thing, then uh, the feedback email I mean, we take all kinds of suggestions, and you know, if you have if you have yeah. some thoughts, uh, always willing to share. Or you can do the speak pipe thing and. Well, like you say, if you don't want to be yeah. on the air, that's one thing. If you don't want to do the production, there's also an easy way to get your voice on the air just with SpeakPipe or, uh, you know, send us send us a file. Or just record it into your 
you know, cell phones now all have voice recording things and pretty darn good speakers, so, uh, mics. So, you know, there are people who do podcasting just off of their cell phone. So just think about it. If there's anybody out there interested in doing some sort of a thing, you know, and yeah, it wouldn't even be bad to have, you know, somebody who just wanted to be like a contributing writer to the show for segment ideas. And another thing that I could use is somebody to help out with posting our uh, show notes on a couple of other forums whenever we release. This is something I kept up with for a little while, and then I just didn't have the time anymore because editing takes up pretty much my whole day. And that whenever we release a an episode, I would go into both the uh, Yog sothoth forum and also the D20 radio forum and then just post in the appropriate areas on both of those with a link to the show and then just kind of like that first opening sentence or two in the show notes that describe the basic overall and just paste that in there just so that way people frequenting those boards can see that a new episode is dropped and what I could really use is somebody to help out with adding that stuff to those forums so that way it's not something being ignored, but that I also don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. So if there's anybody interested in doing that, then just let me know. That would just make things a little easier on the production side. And help spread the word. Yeah. And for our Cryptocurium Spotlight, the items in the April Parcel of Terror terror have been revealed. <laughs> and this includes the first t-shirt in the line. Oh my god, it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't be in the same room with that t-shirt, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The twins from The Shining. Yeah. And uh, the slasher magnet in the line is Leatherface. Mm -hmm. And the Lovecraftian plaque for this one is the color out of space. Yeah. Really, really clever. I really like the way you did that. Yeah. And is is there a drawing in the background? Is that like a vampire kit or something? Yeah. It's, uh, let's see here. What does he call that? The Tools of the Trade print. Everything that is needed for dispatching of the undead can be found in this line of cut print of a vampire hunter's kit. That's awesome. And I love the uh, the Wolfman uh, sticker. Mm-hmm. And I asked, because this one also looks like a photograph from uh-huh. the movie. These are charcoal and color pencil drawings that are Jason did back at art well, school. No. The Wolfman and the Gill Man are actual hand drawn. Wow! By him, so yeah, it it looks like a shot from the movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. And the candy item is a uh, lollipop uh, from the Amityville Horror. I've not seen it. I'm not interested in it, but it's a blue pig thing named Jody. I'm... I love that his little write-up for says no you'll squeal with delight as you devour <laughs> the spectral pig 
that tormented the Lutz family in the 1979 classic The Amityville Horror. Oh, yeah. It's okay. handmade with blue and red chocolate from the original molds. Like, oh my god, that's so cool looking. I just, uh, I, I yeah. love this. I love the variety of stuff and, you know, that he, that he does in these uh, uh, parcels of terror. You know, the placard, there's a sticker, a magnet, you know, a food item, and now t-shirts. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we should describe the, yeah. the t-shirt, black and white. It's a black shirt with white uh, imagery on it. It's the twin girls holding hands, and then below it, it says "The Shining" in that in the uh, the font used for the uh, movie poster and everything. Just wicked! Wow. Yeah, it's it's a creepy shirt, and I'm looking forward to having it. And uh, there's been a couple of unboxing videos of the first Parcel of Terror that were uh, very entertaining to watch with these, you know, hardcore horror, horror mm-hmm. fans just geeking out on the stuff that in the first Parcel with the Jason Magnet and the Cthulhu plaque yeah. and stuff. That was very fun to watch. So I'll uh, find those links for the uh, show notes. Awesome. And if you're... Um, a member of these and you've got the video camera, you know, do your own unboxings. That's part of the fun for these things. It's just so awesome. Yeah. And, and as a thing, uh, they've decided to fully divulge the contents of each parcel from here on out. So each month there won't be anything as a, of a surprise in any of these. You know what you're going to be well, getting. That's cool. I mean, I like surprises, but you know that's you know that's cool. Yeah, the way it's phrased on the site here, you know, it seems that some of the other subscription boxes take advantage by filling their boxes with cheesy or low quality stuff, and this way you know what you're paying for okay. in advance. All hand created art piece yeah. items. So it's not it's not surprise. This is what came out of the quarter machine. Uh, you know, as I was rolling quarters through a gumball machine this is what you got you know it's surprise here's your yeah it would be there's no surprise here's your quality stuff mhm yep these are the things you can expect to receive and anticipate so yeah you know and you know what if you want to be surprised then just don't go to the website to look right and whenever you hear us announce, you know, that the next parcel of terror, you know, has been revealed, then just fast forward it for a few minutes. Right. (laughs) So, you know, it it can be avoided if you don't want to know and actually want to be surprised. But, uh, thank you to Crypticurium for your support of the show. Yes, thank you. Oh, geez, would you look at that? Ooh, maybe buried pirate treasure. Well, now that's a little underwhelming. Hello, how can I help you? Hello there, is this the Department of Book Learning and Nonsense? Well, you've reached the Antiquities Department. Perfect. Hmm, well, that's messy. Found this out to the clam flats, and I want to know what it's worth. Hmm, Some kind of yellow sign on the cover. Well, I need you to read it for me, because I don't speak stupid. Oh, that lettering. What does that say? What's that say? Hasta? Hatster. 
Hasta. 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 All right. For our side, we are going to go over the new Cthulhu Through the Ages book that's just been released. Yeah. yeah. This, is a, this is a nice book. It uh, it basically covers running Cthulhu through the other uh, popular uh, time periods. You know, so uh, the 1920s and modern are not covered in this book. Right. It's the alternatives, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just starting off with the cover, that is a completely different take on Cthulhu that I've not seen before, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of eyes. <laughs> a lot of eyes, and they're kind of they're kind of hidden and folds of, of of a massing shamble of tentacles. Yeah, think of Sigmund the Sea Monster mixed with yep. Cthulhu. That's kind of what At, you get. You know, two hundred feet tall. Right, more of a shambling yeah. mass. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah, but it's it's just an original take that I quite do, like. Do see, I like it when you know somebody yeah. does something. Do you see different. the Migo or or maybe those are Biaki flying around it? Yeah, yeah. I thought those were Biaki nightgowns, but it kind of doesn't make sense thematically. Right. Yeah, and I don't see tails. The tails on nightgowns are kind of a major right. feature, so. But, you know, the artist could have intended them to be any yeah. number of things. But, you know, it's cool to have. It's kind of like seeing, you know, birds flying around elephants. Right, right. <laughs> You've got these little guys flying Parasites. around Cthulhu. You know, he's going to leave great scraps. <laughs> yeah. And then a whole bunch of really stupid humans down in a right. bunch we of did pillars it. We did that it. <laughs> look like they. Yeah. yeah. The spell Ooh, worked. We did it. We summoned him. <laughs> That's awesome. We're awesome. Let's go play pool. We brought him here. Now what do we do with him? Yeah. Ask not what you will do with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the settings that are in this in order, it starts with Cthulhu Invictus. Then it goes to Cthulhu Dark Ages, Mythic Iceland. Then it has a series, a uh, few pages of just rules covering the combat that would be in those previous three settings called Swords and Arrows. So it's just got combat rules for those that kind of era, which I really like. Then it's got a segment on Gaslight. A segment on the Dreamlands, which even though isn't an era, it's a different setting. Then they've got two in here that are both future-based. And uh, it's called Cthulhu Icarus, which is based on a spaceship out in the void. And then Cthulhu End Times, which is... Basically, uh, imagine the setting of the world as being uh, a game of um, of Cthulhu Wars, and you're the pitiful humans running around trying to right. survive. The apocalypse has occurred. Yeah. And then it's got uh, investigator sheets for all yep. of these settings. Which is nice, because each, uh, each setting might have uh, slightly different uh, skill sets. 
and those 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 character yeah. sheets reflect that. So that's nice. Yeah, exactly. The uh, skill sets are going to be different, and they're also thematically designed yeah. differently. Yeah, it's interesting that the Dreamlands has a its own character sheet. Yeah. Yeah, which I believe the Dreamlands book actually had its uh, own sheet yep. in there, which always made sense to me because, well, the your skills and attributes can actually right. be different there. Well, for sure, you know, you're gaining the uh, dreaming and dream lore uh, skills. Uh, uh, yeah. So going through this, uh, you know, um, hopefully people recognize many of these names because most of the stuff uh, is available as separate standalone uh, monographs or supplements. Uh, so kicking it off with Cthulhu Invictus, I mean, there's there's a primary Cthulhu Invictus book. There's a uh, Cthulhu Invictus companion. And then, of course, there's uh, two or three uh, uh, supplement or scenario books that, that also have uh, supplemental rules and things to help support the mm-hmm. uh, that era. Uh, so really, I, I think you would consider this a primer for mm-hmm. Cthulhu Invictus. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of describing this. It's if you're curious about the era but don't want to do the full expenditure on getting a full book, this is a great way to kind of uh, get a, a good idea of how it would play out and character mm-hmm. creation for That's it. That's the great thing, I think, is it has character creations, uh, character creation and skill sets for the era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And occupation. Yeah, I think it's a good way for people to compare and contrast. I've had somebody ask me once, you know, what's really the difference between invictus and uh, dark ages as far as technology and and that kind of thing well this sort of answers your question mechanically it tells you what's different in each in each one mechanically in the sense of like having new occupations and skills and it gives you a little you know a little primer on the organization a governmental organization and uh, you know what you can do in the setting mm-hmm yeah. And and things like, you know, your you've got tables here that you can choose to use for like the um patron god of your character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's just got 10 of the common ones that you can roll or you can pick. And then you can also go with birth portents where when you were born something might have happened in the area and so you roll on this and it gives you a a a, a positive or negative effect and some of these were just kind of interesting you know the lion walked by the father without attacking so your character has negative five on strength <laughs> hmm I like it. Or, yeah, uh, or the mother was visited by a serpent while pregnant. Plus five intelligence. Awesome. Plus five. Oh, plus five on a percentile. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, since these uh, seventh editions, the the scale isn't three to 18. 
yeah. The attributes are I set a time warp in yeah. my brain things. Yeah, I know. It, that's the bit that's the hardest for me to keep track of is the change of the attributes to percentages. The yeah, so this is seventh edition compliant. I think I can't remember if that was, that was already said, but oh yeah. Um, I mean, as far as what's compliant, skills are skills, and you're still rolling percentile. But the thing that's interesting is if you're using the push mechanic, it gives you for each of the new skills in the various eras pushing examples and and examples of consequences of pushed rolls, which if you're not used to, might be nice to have just a little suggestion to go off of. Yeah, that's that is good. Yeah. I like that. So, like, I mean, and some of the skills for pushing are kind of tough to imagine. So here I'm looking at civics under Invictus, which is ends up being a really important skill because it, it tells you how, mu- how much your character sort of understands, sort of like law or how they understand the the organization of their the government. Well, so, like, yeah. what happens when you push that? How do you push it, you know, and what... What do you, what would happen if you failed? Sort of like accounting, right? It's sort of an an intellectual abstract skill. But here it says, uh, pushing examples, carousing and obtaining the latest gossip, spying or conducting research are different ways that you can push. So if you fail your civics test, you could deepen your attempt by carousing and obtaining the latest gossip. Um, So it's story, right? It's not just a second role you have to figure out what that is what what the character does to achieve it and then if you fail yeah i just thought i'd read this example here but if you fail the uh, person you bribed now blackmails you the cultist overheard your political maneuvering and is on to you uh, and what you did has become public knowledge and you are being ridiculed so you lose status points those are all things you could do to your character for poking around or deepening their their research Mm -hmm. yeah and it also gives opposed skill slash difficulty levels for all these skills in both regular difficulty and heart difficulty so whenever you do something and you make a hard roll so you roll under half of what your skill is it gives you an idea of, say, if I made a hard difficulty civics role, I know who controls the port in a place where you newly arrived, and uh, see, attempting a bribe when caught red-handed. I'm not sure what that's actually referring to, but you know, it it basically gives you an idea of how you can interpret that kind of a uh, mm-hmm. a role. Yeah, I think what that, just uh, attempting a bribe with caught red I think what it's saying is, if you were attempting, or if you were attempting a bribe, and you were being caught, it would take a hard difficulty to be successful with that bribe. Oh, in an opposed, opposed role, role for yeah. somebody else to Gotcha. Okay. Yep. That, this, is, this is the thing that I find uh, most helpful, is because this information does not exist in the core book that this is taken from, you know? So this through the ages, mm-hmm. uh, uh, book, it's not just a repeat. I mean, this really is a, uh, seventh edition conversion, but it's more than that conversion because I doubt if they were to ever, uh, reissue Cthulhu Invictus as seventh edition, we would see 
some of these uh, uh, opposing uh, difficulty levels and pushed examples. And we wouldn't yeah. see that in those core books. So I think a document like this is amazing to specifically for seventh edition to give those kinds of, of, uh, of, you know, keeper and player hints, you know, as far as uh, doing that. Yeah. On how we can make use of the skills yep. that are in there. Yeah. Cause you're right. I don't think they would devote this much word count per skill in a larger yep. release, but it's just really, really nice to have all this. And then it even has thing where it goes into how status would work in an Invictus setting. Equipment and investigator organizations. You know, the the mythos in the ancient world. And these aren't, you know, huge sections. These are, you know, two or three paragraphs each sometimes. You know, others of them are just kind of a uh a sentence, you know, equipment, sample weapons and armor can be found in chapter four. Okay. You know, that's the bit that has the uh, swords and arrows segment. But, you know, it, you've got a handful of paragraphs describing each of these. And so, yeah, that's what makes it a really nice primer. It's not a extended reading. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you could take the quick start rules, which are free, and buy this thing uh, for seven, eight bucks. And you, you could really run with that, right? You, you don't need, uh, yeah. you could do your own research about the <laughs> Roman era, uh, the Roman empire and, and make up your own scenario. And you could, you know, easily have all that you need. Yeah. Yeah, you could. You could. Uh, this would be a great way to introduce somebody to Call of Cthulhu very inexpensively. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, you know, for your group, hey, let's try this. I bought this book. Everybody, here's you know the uh, starter edition, and let's try it and see if we like it. Because a horror gaming isn't for everybody. People that are deeply ingrained in the other more common styles of role-playing just sometimes just really don't like this type of thing. This way you can try it out with your group without a massive, you know, mm-hmm. expenditure. But it also can give you ideas of, I really like this, and now I'm going to go and, and buy the larger core book on this particular time frame or just go out and buy the the main game. Because this really worked for me. And what this uh, Cthulhu Through the Ages book does not have for any of these uh, uh, eras that we'll be covering is they don't have full scenarios. There's not a, uh, a read-and-play scenario, but it does have one plot seed per uh, era. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just, just enough, enough for a taste. Get you started, get you, get you thinking about something that you yourself could create. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then next up in the order list is Cthulhu Dark Ages, which has a cover for that segment that I don't think I've seen before. I don't know what that thing is in the tunnel, but that's <laughs> yeah, scary. I've seen that, and I, hopefully, because I, I think they're they're working on a new uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages uh, uh, release, and I think that might be the. Uh, 
And it might be the cover for it, maybe. If it is, that would be fantastic. That is a beautiful cover. That it it has a creature in here that looks kind of like a combination of a centipede, a spider, and a yeah. graboid. Yeah. I mean, those familiar with D&D, I, I might think of this as a carrion crawler, so... Hmm. But it's... It's freaking... It's... it's yeah. A- and a whole bunch of guys that are just totally unprepared yeah. to deal with this thing. The, uh... The knight facing it up front, his shield is still on his back. And I'll yeah. The second guy <laughs> is just coming at it with a cross. Like, yep, that's gonna help you. Yeah, he's just holding up a cross, and that's yeah. not gonna help at all. The guy with the book clutched to his chest, he looks like he's just <laughs> walking away, so I think he's got yeah, something to possible. do with this. Or he's accepted his fate. He's like, yeah, he just strikes me, he's the little girl in the Men in Black uh, simulation. Right. <laughs> that book is way too advanced for her. Yeah. <laughs> She's the one who gets the bullet. But it's, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it goes through basically the same the same layout is used for all of these different eras. So it has a general description of what the era's like, character creation. Uh, this one has backstory suggestions yeah. <laughs> for ideology. Number and 10, beliefs. injured by elf um, shot. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah, on the life yeah. events table. Lost. So, yeah, where the other one had portents, this one is life events. So, had the pox as a kid, sold into slavery, injured by elf shot. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. Imbalance of humors. But mauled yeah. by a bear or dog. Imbalance of humors, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Medieval medicine tip there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a well, like four of them that are imbalance of humors with different types of yeah, results. So that's so kind of cool. You could cool. actually roll to have a an excess of black bile. Phlegmatic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sanguine, choleric, and melancholic. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Then you've got the occupations. You've got, you know, the ever-popular beggar. Not quite as... Uh, uh, it's self-sufficient as the hobo, right. clerics, guard, healer, hermit, merchant, scholar, warrior, yep. woodsman, slash fisherman, monk, slash nun. Monk? <laughs> I like that. Let somebody write a, a scenario of all nuns. Uh, mm. Excellent. <laughs> That would yeah, be pretty awesome. <laughs> then we've got the skills that were either modified or introduced for the era. So, you know, art and craft, point mm. uh, potions. So you can make potions that do different things that 
know, basically this is their version of chemistry and <laughs> you can have all sorts of interesting results yes, of like pushing an explosion and that causes 1d6 damage to everyone in the vicinity. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> The potion is the opposite effect of what was intended. The potion releases an odorless, colorless gas that deals 1d6 hit points of damage or is hallucinogenic. <laughs> Absolutely hallucinogenic. Full show. Yeah. So I, I really like that. Uh, potions are just chemicals mixed together, so you can have it do any number of things. You know, I wouldn't think that it would be a good idea to do it as, like, magical potion actually, you know, giving the benefits of, you know, magical potions. Because that's kind of outside of the way Lovecraft would interpret no. the setting without it being a uh, an actual, you know, mythos ritual. But, you know, this is just how you can make mm -hmm. poisons and, and uh, basic... You know, very basic healing yeah, type, I mean, type of I mean, stuff. There's no reason why it couldn't be a a uh, Dark Ages version of LSD or something. You know, <laughs> I mean, so yeah. it opens oh, up yeah. their mind, and suddenly they're being transported into the dreamlands. You know, I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like the. Do, I don't know if we've talked about yeah, insight, no. the insight skill. I really like the insight skill, and it shows up in Dark Ages as well as Invictus where it's just sort of your general people reading because calling it psychology is uh, out, of, out of step. Yeah, it wasn't a right. study back then. It's just something that some uh, that an individual was just more uh, adapted to, to do. They were just well, kind of reading people. I would say heretic, heretically <laughs> that uh, I wouldn't mind if it was always called insight. There, yeah, I, said I was going to say, I'm not very familiar with, uh, I, I'm not familiar with Invictus really at all. Um, it's not an era that I've been drawn to. Uh, I'm actually more interested in Dark Ages, but I, uh, I, I like the idea of the insight. And when it's, when it's listed as psychology on the 1920s and modern era, it feels like it's an actual, uh, Study, you know, it's, a, it's something that you would have to, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you went to school that for you it. Went so, to school you know, for it's it. hard to justify based on your occupation having any uh, any points in it. So, yeah, I agree. I think there should be a, an insight mm -hmm. that's more uh, generalized. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, and then if you want, I would then mix psychology with psychoanalysis. As yeah, the exactly. studied version. It sounds like it's a learned skill, and but we all understand from playing mm -hmm. the game over the years that it's just your innate sort of people reading and your ability to to you know sort yeah. out uh, motives and that kind of thing. So I like insight. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it is a much more clear description of how. It's normally mm -hmm. used in the game. I think the, the case for keeping it is that uh, is tradition. It's just tradition. It's one less thing to, uh, you know, for people who are who really want the game to stay as it was in the eighties. You know, in, in its various details, that why ruffle mm -hmm. feathers? But I think it's clearer as described as insight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And I love the pushing examples here for Insight being very unsubtle and asking highly personal, intimate, or downright direct mm -hmm. questions of the target. <laughs> and so it just, you just throw subtlety to the wind and just go, okay. Yeah. What's I mean, up they're with basically you? these are descriptions of what would have been a botch in the past, right? You get a ninety, you roll the character rolls a ninety six on something like insight or civics, and you're like, well, how does that botch? You know, and people make jokes like, like spot hidden, like your eyes fall out or something like that. But it's nice to, have, you know, but yeah, right. Oh, mm -hmm. bug flew in my eye. I mean, actually, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> bug flying in your eye. But uh, <laughs> it's so the you know the the consequences of push roll are basically just that they're the they're a botch. What what do you do with a skill that's kind of abstract like insight? Yeah, you know you reveal your own motivations to the target. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. That's definitely some good story fodder right, right. there. You know the target's offended and won't talk to you anymore or takes action against you. So they could just. Take mm -hmm. offense and take a swing. And kind of more functional than giving false information. When you when you do a botch when you do a botch and you give false yeah. information, it puts the player in a weird spot where they can they have to decide whether to pretend they don't know better, <laughs> you know, to like it, it can work out, yeah. but then when do you draw the line? Is exactly. that character then gonna behave, you know, on bad information for the rest of the thing and sort of derail the investigation? Are they gonna be at, at odds with other characters who know better? Um, right. So, which is something I've done, by the way. Like, yeah. I'm not, <laughs> that's not accusation. That's like uh, from my personal experience. So, yeah, I think most of us have in one way or another, because it's usually then used for comedy value in the game of just you totally get into 100% believing this false yeah, thing that you were given. And it takes, you know, absolute, yeah. An undeniable proof to get your character to believe yeah. the other way. I mean, actually, as a player, I love doing that. I like attaching some kind of weird paradigm, like, oh, obviously it's elves. Okay, it's elves. I knew it. It's always the elves, and then just kind of working with that until until it destroys yeah. them. <laughs> or oh, it's demons. You know, if you have a priest character, <laughs> oh, it's demons. Uh, you know, clearly we have an instruction mm -hmm. book for how to deal with that. It's called the Bible, so we're, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> See where that takes the character. Yep. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, a very cool way of. This this gives alternatives to go into that kind of extreme, though. If you're trying to go a little more serious, then this will give you some uh, mm -hmm. some good ideas. I'm just kind of scrolling through, looking at the other stuff in here, and they have uh, a nice write up on status, which is good because that's a super important one in these mm -hmm. kind of eras. This is essentially credit rating for the the history right. periods but in such a a set kind of rigid class structure like you have in invictus where things are really codified and, and behavior is totally governed by your birth and your you know who your parents are and what your status is in the world yeah yeah so status is definitely a uh, 
an important thing, and they give some good details on how it works. And even an optional rule of having multiple statuses for, it looks like uh, it gives, yeah, with different groups, you might have a different type of status. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you might actually have a higher status with outlaws than you would with yeah, general so population. You can either track that individually, you know, maybe that's simpler for your game group, or categorize it and track your status and, and your relationship with those different groups individually. Yeah. That's a good idea. I had not thought of that. And, yeah. Then there's another nice piece of art at the end of that yeah. with... Uh, Dead guys in armor Legion in the rain. Mm -hmm. The way is shut. And then we go into Mythic Iceland, which I've not looked at the... I don't have a copy of the actual book that came out, so this is my oh, introduction to the setting. This is what, I think this is going to be an introduction for a lot of Call of Cthulhu players, because the actual book that came out was for a BRP, basic roleplay. It was it was written and designed for BRP mm -hmm. first, uh, and I think it was it seemed like a natural or uh, possibly a uh, 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 an available setting to uh, to do Cthulhu in as well, uh, especially because there's uh, some really nice uh, great old ones that are that are very uh, cold environment centric, you know. Ithaca, so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, of, this is very cool, and they even have a section here on the monetary system, which is all barter-based, and the unit of trade is the L, which is the length from the elbow to the point of the second finger, about 20 inches of uh, the local fabric. So, it then gives you kind of a chart here to s say, okay, you know, what is worth so much of L's? And so, that's mm -hmm. that's actually very helpful. Yeah, this goes well with the, you know, the mythos, um, not mythos, the Cthulhu Dark Ages has a kind of offshoot of Viking material. Um, there's a we've talked about this before, but there are a few scenarios uh, in the, just as Vikings. And there's also a, a whole campaign by Oscar Rios. And so mythic Iceland to me is kind of a nod to that in a way, even though it's limited to that one Island. And actually the time, the time frame is a little earlier. Yeah. This is in nine thirty, as opposed to, I think the first century of the first millennium. Okay. Yeah, it's just very just cool. There's like a Loki cult, a volcano cult, an Ithaca cult. Just neat. You know, some of the cool information here. They even have a little section here on how to do uh, names for your characters. Common male and female names, different nicknames that you can tag on. So you could be uh, Gunner the Brave. I wonder if the original Mythic Iceland book has this kind of guidance for use with mythos. I don't know. I haven't seen I, it. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it either. Uh, 
I'd like to, to get it. It just seemed kind of cool. But I remember when it came out, it's a, it's got the gold BRP uh, symbol on the cover. So I know this was a, a BRP book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and all those are, obs- you know, obviously compatible sure. with Call of Cthulhu. But it's just not something that I really thought about as adapting, but I that's one of the great advantages of this Cthulhu Through the Ages, because it, it gives us a sampling of this to s- see whether or not we're interested in looking deeper and into this that. this section uh, also has some sample monsters. Uh, so there's something here called the... God, I, I won't be able to, to pronounce this, but Utberder which is a, a corporeal ghost of an exposed child. So maybe it's a, a child that, yeah, a newborn child. I don't know. I, I don't want to go into reading it right now, but, you know, it just looks like there's, you know, uh, some neat monsters that you could use in this era, this setting. Uh, a ghoul cat, spellbound cats from Uranus. And, and you're, I'm thinking house cat size. Now, immensely large and aggressive black cats, which dig into pagan burials or church graveyards, tearing up and feeding upon the dead bodies within. Like, that is awesome. Yeah. 3D6 times 5 for the strength. So what's the size? The same. 3D6 times 5. <laughs> That's a big cat. It's like panther-sized or something, you know? Yeah. And one of that's uh, and that's one of its primary big, attacks big is a kitty. tail whip. Yeah, tail whip does damage. You can attack yeah. once per round. So I mean, it, it's got two monsters that it's that's uh, sampling here. So I'm assuming those are monsters that yeah do things yeah. that are completely original and to the setting. So that is yeah, it makes very me cool. Want to go and get the uh, Mythic Iceland book even more now if there are more creatures like this in that uh, Iceland book. Mm. Yeah. I really like the, the the mythic kind of Viking setting. I've played it, it turns out, a few times now in in a search to sort of understand Cthulhu Dark Ages a little better. And it's it really jibes with me. I really love it. It's got that cold kind of, you know, Nordic... Uh, landscape, which I really love, and the seafaring, and the bleak, the bleakness of that life, and that yeah. that sense that you know you just go and put yourself in danger's way because your lifespan's not that long anyway. It's it's a a fun take on the the medieval era. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot of potential for some really great adventure. Yeah, and you don't have to explain away why your character is doing this because that's just what they live for mm-hmm. is adventure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't want to go too deep into this, but as y'all were talking, I was reading more on the ghoul cats. It's a great, great creature. Yeah. Uh, that could you could you could you could spin that as as a uh, uh some sort of root you know nugget in a uh in a scenario. Nice. Yeah, I, I, it looks like that cat could actually be used in standard Call of Cthulhu if you wanted you know, to. Any of these mm-hmm. uh, creatures, you know? 
Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, this is great. Then, yeah. Then the next seg- section here, we've got Swords and Arrows. Key combat rules for Cthulhu Invectus, Dark Ages, and Mythic Iceland. So here's where, it, instead of giving combat rules for each individual, they just made it into its own chapter, yep. which mm-hmm. I think was a great so idea. Much overlap. Yeah. And it's it's a great, for, for reference book purposes, yeah. that's really smart. Actually, that that's this chapter alone is worth having. I do hope it comes out in print. And I, I hope that powers that be might possibly hear that because it's it would be such a great reference to have on the shelf for any of these things and to have it so easy to find mm-hmm. just that section on on medieval combat. Yeah. Just leave yeah. a bookmark on this page and grab it anytime you need this kind of combat rules. Yeah, because it's got uh, using armor and a. uh a chart of mm-hmm. different sample armors from normal clothes to different leathers, chainmail. And yeah, that's a big one right there because shields have kind of their own stuff to effectively use it. And this is very, very helpful. And it gives a chart of different types of shields and how much yep. protection it gives and how much damage caused by using the shield as a weapon. So this is very useful to grab if somebody in your regular game grabs, you know, just some item that actually could be used as a good improvised shield. Well, we've got improvised Mm -hmm. as one of the options here. So it gives you how much armor and how much damage does. Small and light enough that anybody can use them regardless. Uh, But then there are other shields they actually have strength and dexterity requirements that are that are listed because of their size, their weight, yeah. their their you know, awkwardness of use or the, the special training that's required to use them. Uh, you know, you've got uh, strength and dex posted so that if you meet this, you can use this shield. If you don't meet it, it's just it's just too heavy, it's too awkward, you know, you can't use it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or at least you can't wield it effectively. It's like a tower shield that's got the highest requirements, 45 strength and 30 dex. If it's if you don't have the strength for it, yeah, you might be able to like lift it up and like prop it down at your feet and just kind of hide behind it. But you're not going to be able to pivot with the thing. You're not going to be able to move around with it. It's just a, a door that you're holding in front of you. And then it's got a section on ranged weapons and the dex order and how that all goes together and works. And it's in a nice uh, sample weapons chart that's, you know, not too huge, but it's just a page. Well, this entire section, this entire and section it gives a is nice assortment. Pages. You're mm-hmm. getting all this combat info in three pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I was running one of these yeah. settings, I would just print these out and tack them to either my keeper screen or tack them to my wall. And uh, if I was running online and um, have that in the grapple rules, grapple seems to come up a lot in these more melee based uh, games. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, now that it's all ju- that grapple doesn't have its own separate rules as right. much as it's yeah. just a fighting maneuver. If you pass your brawling roll, you simply accomplish mm-hmm. you what you're opposed, wanting well, to. Well, you do an opposed roll, right? And that's if, it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's and an opposed. Upon yeah. Your, based on your bill, and, uh, you may or may and, not get positive or penalty or, or yeah, negative. That gives it advantage. Mm-hmm. Somebody just pointed yeah. out to me that build seems to map yeah. onto the damage bonus. Um, it's chart. all it's all part. Yeah, it's part of the same chart. So as you're con- as you're uh, doing the, the the chart and looking up what your damage bonus is, the next column over is your build. So it's it's one for one. It's it's related. I think if you get the one d four bonus, then you get a plus one on your build, right? I'd have to look at the chart, but it, it, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't have the chart in front of me here, but yeah. Then we got, next up is Gaslight. This one's, now we're getting into a lot more familiar for a lot of gamers that even if you have primarily just played in the classic jazz or modern eras, most people have at least touched on the Gaslight mm-hmm. Victorian. London type setting. So it gives a nice rundown on that. Occupation, social classes, which is important. Skills. A new society, a couple couple of organizations. Yeah. And then uh, credit ratings. So that way you've got the credit rating equivalents just kind of redone for the time. And also into uh, British mm-hmm. currency. Yeah, let's see. Oh, it's Just got a page of art, some yeah, interesting uh, symbols here. No idea what that is. Oh. Sneak yeah. stuff. We've got our s- sampling of the dreamlands. And of course, it goes into explaining, you know, what the setting is and uh, the dreaming skill, which is kind of essential, and dream lore. Those are the two skills it covers, because the combat would actually be the exact mm-hmm. same as the first three. You know, and actually this kind of groups together better with those because the uh, combat skills and and weapons and everything is would be yep. very much the same. Yeah, the, uh, the Dreamlands, uh, I think it's in the original book, it talks about typically it's... Uh, 400 years behind whatever the current time period is, you know, the uh, technology is that, you know, yeah. retarded, for, you know, and, and uh, you know, it hasn't advanced uh, quite as much. So, yeah. And then it has a nice looking mm-hmm. uh, color map here. This is a different it's version of the map than I've seen before. This, yeah, and well, it's the border with all these mm, creatures yeah. that's really eye catching. That's uh, some really weird stuff there. Yeah, it looks like a several that's really cool dreamland monsters are in there. There's a gug on one side there, there's a ling spider over there, you know, a night gong, zug, yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. And here we have again some really uh, some monsters that they uh, they highlight. 
you know, we, creatures we're familiar with, you know, Gugs, Moonbees, yeah. Zoogs. Yeah. But we're getting them in, in, in 7th edition. Yeah, but it's nice to have those for, if you don't have the Dreamlands book, you know, here you go. Gugs are awesome creatures to use in any, you know, setting. They're just, they're just so big and nasty. I just really like I'm Gugs. Clean. Giants. <laughs> and then we have one of the two futuristic settings, Cthulhu Icarus. This one really just works for yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> the Icarus is referring to a spaceship, and it is a uh, a good-sized ship that I guess the whole thing yeah. takes place on. And there are different governmental entities within the crew. Let's see, I'm looking to see if there's a mention of just how big the crew is supposed to it's, be on this massive. thing. Yeah. I'm not sure. Just Yeah. Yeah, I think we're talking at least like mm-hmm. Constitution class scale. Let's see, living quarters. It's got great deck maps, though. I mean, mm-hmm. This is really cool. Okay, each of the living quarters sections houses six people. So, oh, and there's a, there's a. Uh, so know. that's that's thirty six people. So yeah, this is actually considerably smaller than Constitution, but so you're looking maybe around forty ish people if you've got people housed outside of those. There's a, uh, a firearms uh, skill with this firearms electrical, and it's a it's a catch-all firearm skill to uh, shoot things like a, a handheld pulse uh, gun, a plasma, or particle beam weapons. So some really Star Trek level, nice, uh, you know, guns. Tech level, mm-hmm. yeah, very cool. Yeah, this I may have to look through this in more depth because oh, this yeah. just looks Absolutely. like a lot of fun. And we've got for occupations. See, so we've got engineer, medical, navigator, scientist, and systems you know, you engineer. Could, you could easily uh, adjust the tech levels. So uh, I really, I think probably this would be true for damn near all uh, Call of Cthulhu fans, is that you're also fans of uh, the Alien uh, franchise. Um, you could easily you could easily use a oh, ship yeah. like this uh, to, to have uh, some kind of uh, storyline where humanity's pushing out for the stars and we're, we're going to look and, and try and colonize a new planet and, and take out the laser guns. You know, mm-hmm. and and have still be using uh, slug standard slug throwers. You know, uh, but then you know for for any number of reasons why you would not want to have a gun on a tin cannon space. You know, uh, yeah, no you know, maybe, projectile maybe, weapons. Yeah, no projectile weapons. You don't want to have that thing accidentally. I was just cleaning it when it went off. You know, and, <laughs> uh, and suddenly that. Uh, that that room that you used to sleep in is a new airlock, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, have things like 
flamethrowers. I wouldn't want to necessarily be on board a spaceship that was so weak anyway that a soft lead bullet would penetrate right. the hull. That's <laughs> that means any micrometeor is going to make you right. into Swiss cheese. Right. Uh, this would, I mean, this would be great for a setting like that. You know, you could you could very mm-hmm. easily. Uh, wrap a scenario around uh, what was that movie Event Horizon? You could you know do something like that aboard. Oh this, yeah, uh, this Icarus ship. And again, the the blueprints on this are amazing. You know, so you could adapt this for any type of level, any level of uh, sci-fi horror. I think you could do with this. Wasn't the spaceship in the film Sunshine? Yeah, called the Icarus. Yes, and. Mainly because they were, you know, flying towards the sun. Yeah, right. You know, so. But it's a similar. Yeah. A similar layout on the, on the spaceship and, you know, a good. Yeah. It's kind of linear. I mean, the, the sun, the the Icarus in the movie had that shield. Yeah. It had that solar shield on the front end. Right. But uh, this could be used as a very similar adventure to that, which is horror as well. Right. And there's, it's worth, I think, probably worth mentioning the monograph Cthulhu Rising, which seems to be compatible. You could yeah. dovetail this. Uh, it came out in 2005 and it is set in the year 2271, uh, which is an indication of how specific it is. It's really a setting with, you know, complete details. And uh, I've taken a look at it and it's, um, it's really, a full setting has a whole timeline and you know, what players know of the timeline and how the mythos is, is uh, woven in. So I think this is a sort of subset could, could work well if you're running a Cthulhu rising campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is just, it, it just seems like so Sorry. much fun. <laughs> I love the, you know, I'm a sci-fi guy anyway. And so this is just, uh, you know, yeah, suits I, me. I, it sounds like nicely. something you should run. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is just so so neat. Yeah, I'll have to read through that in better detail later. Then, last up, we have the Reaping Cthulhu End Times. It's where it's futuristic in that it takes place. You know, in the probably not too distant future, possibly next Sunday <laughs> AD, right? And uh, the the apocalypse has happened, but it wasn't exactly uh, Skynet this time. It was the great old ones. Yep. Whoops! Yeah, <laughs> didn't I see that one coming? So yeah, this gives a nice detail for having your characters being survivors and trying to, you know, it's survival horror, only it's not bands of zombies everywhere. It's the mythos has basically, you know, come up and decided to make its presence known in the most horrible, destructive way possible. I had this idea for a, a Cthulhu apocalyptic, uh, type of scenario uh, where uh, Yuggoth, the planet, you know, Pluto is is uh, relocated mm-hmm. 
into close Earth orbit and having that mass, you know, completely disrupts uh, the, the tides. It, it oh, starts yeah. ripping asunder <clears throat> some of the uh, the tectonic plates. You know, it just starts starts you know tearing, literally tearing at the uh, uh, actual fabric of our planet until it you know resettles into its new shape. And um, you know, day and night is this giant looming other planet right there next to us and and streaming from it is uh, uh, the Migo and their technology and uh, you know the, the, the way that they've opened up <clears throat> the portal that they've opened up for the uh, for the old ones to come through and when they're talking about the stars are right yeah that star has realigned literally realigned right next to us and now the stars are right you know um, so I was, and that mm-hmm. would be your constant reminder that, that, uh, yeah, uh, we're in some, some horrific times because even during the day, there's that giant planet, you know, right there next to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to research. I'm not sure how big it is. I know it's not very large at all. So it, it might be actually be comparable to about and the size of the moon. Was, uh, superimposed now between us and our in our moon you know i just i would love to see it huge right there yeah that would really screw things up being that close yeah that would screw things it's up smaller than the moon i will paste in uh a good okay. comparison chart here awesome that would be awesome oh cool oh okay yeah yeah that would actually be a a mythos influenced version of uh, Thundar the Barbarian the role-playing game would be pretty (laughs) awesome. I just... I I don't know why, but for years I've wanted to see a a Thundar RPG. I just think it would be a great setting for that. Yeah, I guess nobody's had the license, but I'm sure there, there would be plenty of gamers interested. Yeah. You know, for those of us old enough to remember Thundar. Yes. But it is available on DVD. But, uh, so yeah, it's, this just gives a very nice overview of how to set up that kind of a setting. You know, you've got what they call outposts. These are collective enclaves of sanity in a world gone mad. So basically they're just the groups where people are kind of huddling together trying to survive and then there are handfuls of people that just go out and mm-hmm. actually try and fight back which is yeah, kind of awesome resistance cells yeah you know taking the fight to the enemy and then the occupations are interesting we've got you know mm-hmm. kind of lost world type of things that have kind of retranslated over where you've got the the cunning man or woman is a healer and just general healing in first aid medicine some history some psychoanalysis you know they can just do whatever is necessary they're very uh broad reaching and because specialists just don't exist anymore I love that they added in the <laughs> a little, postman. Oh, nod there as a profession to, uh, <laughs> to the yeah. postman. 
the book was really good. And uh, they're also called a linker. That's basically people that travel between outposts, travel, you know, carrying news and information and letters and stuff. And I like the idea of what if your your player group is just a band of like three to five mm-hmm. postmen that travel as a group for safety, going from well, one outpost to another. Postmen, but it, your your postman character would be like the guide or leader. You know, he knows mm-hmm. the path, he knows the way, and he's yeah, true. Yep, the they ranger, be the ranger in the team, yep. mm-hmm. and then there's someone who's a a meat grinder pugilist that goes to as a as as a protector, and you've got your scavenger and the stealer, and yeah, I could absolutely see that. Hmm. Yeah. So you've got your classic D and D party mm-hmm. set up only in mythos post apocalyptic Earth. Yep. <laughs> It'd just be cool. Yeah, these pretty much map onto your classic D&D tropes. You've got the scavenger slash thief, right? You've got stalker, which is your kind of uh, mm-hmm. your ranger. Yeah. Kind of a ranger type sure thing, what, yeah. I'm not sure what a postman Hunters. would be. I guess a postman is the original one. <laughs> uh, medicine. Yeah. You know, it's definitely somebody that's good at at traveling around and it's i don't know the uh postman and and stalker huntsman is Mm -hmm. they've both got very similar overlap there but uh you know this is just a very cool idea and then the new version of credit rating and barter since you know system of economy has gone back to barter system so that's kind of nice that you can say, okay, well, he's average credit rating, so he's got a decent carrying bag, 1d3 hand weapons, one firearm with limited bullets, 1d6 plus two small and medium value assets. So that could be like a car battery or some regular batteries at full power, tins of food, stuff like that. I like the hardened sanity. I was just about to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Like the, uh, yeah. I mean, you're living in a world of of so much horror and, and despair, and you know the apocalypse has occurred. So you're kind of all used to it. It's not a surprise anymore. Yeah, human level animal corpses and human yeah. corpses, uh, sanity's halved. And but. you know, I I wouldn't know. I mean, I mm-hmm. wouldn't be opposed. If I was running it, be opposed to just eliminating it in some instances, you know, mm-hmm. depending upon your. Yeah. Say after yep. a given amount of time, you know, you're just not yep, going yep. to be affected anymore. You know, because otherwise, you know, like coroners would be completely bonkers. <laughs> you yep. have to get to where it just yep. isn't a thing. And then I love this, you know, once a survivor has become immune to further sanity loss from seeing a particular mythos monster, ignore the rule about reducing the immunity by one point per investigator development phase. Basically, they're just permanently immune from that Mm -hmm. particular type of creature. If somebody's on a coastal area, they're just not going to freak out on seeing a deep one. It's just, okay, well, there's another one. You know, stay down until he passes and then jump in from behind. 
<laughs> like in the in the one that I you know thought of with the the Miko. Oh, take cover! Here comes another swarm, and everyone just mm-hmm. watches as the swarm goes by, and they okay, let's get out and keep going. You know. Yep. So yeah, that's very cool, and I like the new skills like scavenge. That's just very fun, and uh, persuade urban survival tech repair just really cool ideas for skills and then it moves into the character sheets where it's got two pages per each of these backgrounds or each of these uh eras yeah a double-sided sheet yep and they're all laid out pretty much the same they just have different skills and uh completely different types of you know uh, decoration yeah Yeah. but yeah these were all all done by dean dean englehart englehart and so yeah it's they're pretty much the same character sheets as the uh ones that are available on the website that can be auto calculated but these are just flat printable sheets so yeah that's cthulhu through the ages very nice. I like this a lot. I really do. Yeah, I'm. I really didn't know what to expect from this, but I'm very happy with how that came out. I think that's cool. Yeah, I'll be using it, printing out sections here and there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite part in that entire book is the ghoul cat. I love that monster. <laughs> that's a yeah. That's a really cool critter. <laughs> Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. Okay, so for our main, we're going to just have some discussions about some of the various non-RPG games that are influenced by Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos. Board games, card games, dice games... Uh, I don't know, uh, charade games, um, party <laughs> games, drinking games, um, <laughs> sports. Uh, yeah, sports ball. Um, sports ball. <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be some sort of mythosy sports ball thing. Um, sure, they've got Quidditch, so, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. it's called cricket. Yeah, cricket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does use unspeakable words to describe and, the game. And, and I would say it's eldritch. I think that word actually fits. Yeah, well, it's, and it uses a non-Euclidean bat, and, uh, and yeah. don't you have to be insane for a game to take four days or something like that? So, Or, or to even understand the general rules? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, that's the majority of sport, sports balls that I've encountered, so... But we've got, you know, a handful of examples of some of these alternative types of games that have been out there. Plus, there's more all the time coming up on Kickstarter. So this is yeah. going to be far from comprehensive. And I I love board games. I, I play a lot of board games. Uh, in fact, many of the ones that, uh, that we've got in this list I've, I've played or, or even own. So... Unspeakable words. I'm actually not familiar with this one. Has anyone played this? I have, yeah. 
it's a it's a word game. Uh, you get letters, kind of like um, you would in Scrabble, and you have to make words out of them. And, and the points, the the point value of each letter has to do with the angles that it has in the letter. So, like an A has a lot of angles, but a Z, but an O doesn't. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. And so you make these words, um, and I think you, I, I forget, I think the number of, I forget how the scoring exactly works, but at some point, um, you get to a sanity tipping point. You get a, a Cthulhu, one of those little Cthulhu creatures that comes with the game. Um, if I remember right. God, I can't remember if you get them when you fail or when you succeed, actually. It's been a little while, sorry. But at some point, you, you reach a tipping point where you kind of go insane. And then you are allowed to rearrange the letters however you want. And as long as you can pronounce them, you get you get all of the points for those letters. So mm. it, it sort of, <laughs> yeah, it devolves into silliness. Uh very quickly and it's it plays quickly oh, it's awesome. a work it's a word game and you know it's got that silly hook so it's a good one for quick pickup games you know waiting for someone to show up at your your game session or whatever i do recommend it oh that's cool yeah, yeah. i haven't i haven't played that yet so i'll check that out wow this this game is a hundred bucks on amazon oh my gosh which one Unspeakable the, words. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's ninety nine ninety nine. No, that's a that's a load of hooey. It's I don't know if it's out of print, but I think that's why they're doing the second edition on the uh, on Kickstarter. Okay, it is fun. I don't own it, man. Unless you're a collector. Look, this is this is like a game that's it's cool, but <laughs> don't spend a hundred bucks on it. I mean, my yeah. My, Goodness. It's like Bananagrams or something like that. It's a pretty simple game. It doesn't. It doesn't even have that many pieces, so <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't go crazy yeah. there. Because I'm Especially looking at board- thirty five bucks on the campaign to get it. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at uh, unspeakable words on Board Game Geek, and in the market, it's like eighty dollars and forty five dollars. Um, you know, various used copies. So yeah, 45, uh, sorry, euros. I mean, so it's expensive no matter how you slice it. Yeah. But yeah, if you're interested in getting a copy of this, I would say, uh, shop around. It was, I believe that we've done this already. It was on tabletop. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they played that. That's pretty cool. I can look up that episode. It's right there. Whoops. That's a really crappy url sorry uh what's next should we just talk about i mean the 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 not the elephant in the room but the the large massive board game in the room is uh arkham, arkham horror. horror and that's how why it was brought up in the first place i think is because our facebook user was really loves that game and i know people yeah. who do really love that game i mean as yeah. in you know to an obsessive level and that's uh, one of the two games I've actually played. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, okay, let's do talk about it. All right. This actually, I think in a lot of cases, is probably the introduction to people to 
Lovecraftian themes and stuff. You think so? I mean, uh, I think there's probably more people that are willing to just give a board game a shot than an RPG. Yeah, I think you're right. I kind of wonder, uh, as far as board games go, it is you kind of have to be at a certain level of tolerance of, um, you know, it's a long play game. It's very advanced, I think, as far as, um, you know, it's not a war game. It's not like, uh, right. You could do right. worse in, in mechanical complexity, but it's, if you're, if you just want to pick up a game and play on a given Sunday, it's, it's pretty intense plays four or five hours, you know, it's, um, yeah. Uh, so d- if I remember right, uh, Arkham Horror, ha- there's, you know, you're, it's a, it's a co-op game. So all the players are playing together to prevent, uh, the great old one from, from waking up and, you know, basically destroying the world or something, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's always a, an enemy and there's a, yeah, there's doom- a yeah, yeah, a doom track and everything. Um, and there's a lot of uh, fiddly uh, components in uh, uh, Arkham Horror. You know, there's you know you're keeping track of money and and all this you know small things. And you're collecting gear and you're you're collecting spells and there you're you're arming yourself, going through different gates as as these uh, portals to other worlds are being opened. You have to go through these gates, close the gates. Uh, because if the gates, if there are too many gates that are open, that accelerates the, uh, the great old one from waking up. Uh, so you have to close the gates and you're going to be battling the great old one and monsters are coming out. And there's a lot to it. There's a lot of moving parts, uh, in Arkham Horror. Mm-hmm. A lot of resources mm-hmm. to manage. Yeah. Um, a lot of resource management going on. Uh, and I agree. It's a, it's a very complex game. With a lot of moving parts, a lot of rules to remember. Uh, you know, is this creature uh, walking or flying? Is it in the city or is it? You know, there's a there's like an outer area, an outer edge of the city where some creatures go. It's a holding staging area or flying creatures go to that staging area. Uh, you know, there's different locales in the city that you can visit, uh, and it just you know, especially if you start integrating some of the expansions, there's a, a vast number of expansions for this uh, game. It takes up a lot of, of table real estate. Yeah, it You does. have to have a lot of space to play this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be daunting, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... So... I like the game. I, I mean, I've, it's, I, I find it to be playable. The mechanics are, are, are pretty elegant, but I've never played without a host of somebody who really already knows the game well and mm-hmm. can kind of walk you through some of the mechanics. It's not complicated in the sense of, you know, totally unapproachable. It's just that there are a lot of moving pieces. And even when you have an experienced player, there's a lot of referring to the game book for contingencies and exceptions and yeah and that kind of thing. So it is a you're engaged with the rules and the rule book, I think, most of the time until until you're some kind of expert. Well, so I, so I recommend having a guide. Some you know play it with someone. Yeah, if you're playing for the first time, unless you just love 
getting into rules and figuring things out yourself. And some people do. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's good to look for a helper. Yeah. And, and I do enjoy uh, learning new games and reading game rules. And, and I'll do that on occasion. I'll just, you know, break out one of my games and pull out the rule book and just start rereading through it. Just maybe out of the hopes that I might be able to get it to the table sometime soon. Uh, I want to dovetail another game in with our Arkham Horror discussion, and that's uh, Fantasy Flight's Eldritch Horror, which is a sister game to Arkham Horror, um, where Arkham Horror is played, uh, as the name suggests, in Arkham, and you're playing at the city level, so you're visiting different city locations. Eldritch Horror is played at the global level, and you're visiting different cities, you know, different uh, places mm-hmm. across the globe and or different locations, you know, deserts or the Antarctic or something like that. Um, they have learned, they being Fantasy Flight, has learned a lot uh, and, and has improved uh, the mechanics of Arkham Horror for this global setting in Eldritch Horror. Um you still have the concept of purchasing gear, purchasing things, but they don't use money anymore. There's no more money tokens. Um, they've really streamlined it into uh, like a, uh, having a test where you succeed at a test and, and that test is, uh, you know, your credit is good enough. Um, there's another concept in uh, uh, Arkham Horror where your character that you're that you're running uh, has a variety of skills, and in older editions you had plastic colored tabs, almost like paper clips, uh, that you would stick onto the edge. Of the uh, of your character sheet, and you could slide it around as it would point to different numbers as your uh, stats would improve. Uh, they had a uh, another edition of Arkham Horror where you actually dropped a token on your character sheet that had a hole in it, and so as you moved this little window around, it would tell you what your current stat numbers are. Well, with Arkham Horror now, you just have your stat number. And if that stat should uh, improve or maybe be uh, be damaged, in it, and so you now have a negative, you're just throwing these tokens on on top that say plus or minus, uh, you know, one or two uh, for that stat. But they tried to they tried to keep it to where you didn't have to do a lot of uh, character sheet uh, maintenance. Um, so you know, there's the streamlined character sheets, the streamlined money. Uh, the streamlined combat, uh, they, they're using, uh, a, uh, combat mechanic that I actually see in their, in another fantasy flight game, uh, Mansion, uh, Mansions of Madness. That has kind of come into Arkham Horror. I mean, into Elder Chore. And so I really see Elder Chore, uh, I enjoy Elder Chore more than I enjoy Arkham Horror. In fact, I've already played Elder Chore more often than I've played Arkham Horror. It takes up less table real estate. It's faster to set up. It's faster to play. And I think you still get the same kind of uh, 
satisfaction in Eldritch Horror that you do in Arkham Horror. And I really, even though there have been no announcements, I truly believe since Fantasy Flight Games has already shown in other games that they produce uh, where they'll do like a second edition uh, where they've revamped and streamlined certain rules, I foresee and predict that we will eventually see a second edition of Arkham Horror where they're bringing in these Eldritch Horror streamlined mechanics to that uh, to that game, and it'll become a little little faster and easier to play. I guess it'd actually be a third a third edition, right? Because there was an eighties an eighties yeah. uh, iteration a Chaosium. of Chaosium. Yeah. But you mean that was a Chaosium published edition versus the uh, Fantasy Flight? So I yeah. think they might call it second edition for Fantasy Flight, but maybe they would call it. Sure, you're probably right. Well, I haven't played that, but it sounds it sounds interesting. Um, I, I don't have a particular objection to Arkham Horror for its um, its mechanics. I mean, streamlining sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have some tension with all of these games uh, that are Lovecraft or Mythos-inspired where um, I don't want to come off as a crank, but it's uh, part of... I, I'm conflicted. Like, I like the games a lot of times, but I find that they also are kind of codifying and and mechanizing the mythos. I mean, this is the, the accusation that, that uh, literature, Lovecraft literature lovers uh, had against the role-playing game, is that it demystifies the monsters, or it demystifies, you know, the horror. And with so much of this stuff in circulation, I have actually found that um, there's a little bit of a disappointing effect where Migos become household words where everyone knows, you know, the monsters at the end of, of Arkham Horror and they sort of know the stats and, and, uh, those scenarios kind of, um, I don't know, they sort of codify, uh, the stories into a mechanized way. And I'm a little uncomfortable with that even though I like the game for its own sake. And I've even had people in my own games know the, the, the board game. They actually do call them board role-playing games. <laughs> role-playing board games. Um, yeah. Right, where you, where you play a role and you have a character sheet and that kind of thing. And it, yeah. it's like it's simulating, it's simulating the role-playing experience because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's what Arkham Horror is doing. It's not simulating what happens in Lovecraft stories. It's like a copy of a copy of what mm-hmm. happens in the role-playing game. And, yeah. you know, you're you're picking up clue tokens as opposed to solving a mystery. You're sort of simulating the solving of a mystery in the abstract. Um, so all of that just kind of makes me go, wow, I just burned five hours and I could have been playing the role-playing game. <laughs> um now well, that's and, not usually the option. Like if you have board gamers, you're going to be playing a board game. Um, but go ahead. No, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, but I think, and I could be completely wrong, but I, I really believe that there are people out there that are, that are interested in Lovecraft. Um, and they're interested in, in the literature and the horror and stuff, but they just have, a uh, 
uh, near impossible time or ability to invest themselves into the role-playing game because I think they feel like the horror is just not going to be there. And if the horror, if they don't feel like they can be scared or uh, really get into the, uh, the, the storytelling, uh, which is the, the, the root and, and, and strength of a role-playing game, if they can't get into that like they would with a, with a novel, I think some of the folks would be like, well, I want, I still want to, to, to have the fun experience, even if it's not going to be scary. And at least with a board game, there's pretty components, you know, I get mm-hmm. to, I get to see and feel and touch and, you know, there's something tactile about it. And, you know, you get the artistic representation by, by what the, uh, uh, the folks have done, you know, for the game. Uh, so I think people enjoy that. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely see that point. And I also think it's quite possible that people come to the board, the, the role playing game through, through way of the board game. In fact, I know I have, you know, at least three confirmed cases where someone has come to my role playing game after playing the board game. What I wish was also true is that that board game was presenting something a little more like what, what they find in the board game because, or in the role playing game, because, um, you know, there's something a little bit lost in the imagination. On the other hand, what am I going to do? Say, you know, that I don't want those people to end up either reading the fiction or, or coming to the role playing game. I, that, that, I, I couldn't support that position. So, right. you know, I want people to come to the hobby. I want people to, if they go to the fiction through the board game without passing role playing game, I'm okay with that too. You know, um, maybe increasing awareness of the, of the fiction. You know, maybe the board game is just another way to, to do that. And I guess I'm okay with that. Um, but I've had this funny situation where, you know, people, I pull out Amigo and people go, Oh, Amigo. And they start making jokes about the card in the, in the board game. And, and, you know, the board game is also very, uh, it's a cartoonish approach to the, the trappings of Lovecraft and, and Arkham. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you say, it's not really scary. It's much more in the Indiana Jones vein. You've got, uh, um, Oh God, what's the actual character that Monterey Jack. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's actually one of the characters and, you know, your, your player characters are kind of two-fisted, uh, style. So, and that's a different flavor than I, than I tend to bring to the role-playing game. So there's just a tension there and I don't think it's resolvable and I don't want to say, please don't play the board game. I don't tend to recommend it for people who are interested in the role-playing game, um, but I'm not going to sit there and discourage anyone either. And I know this person on Facebook obviously loves the game and, uh, I can't discourage that either. You know, it's just a different, it's different lens through which to see Lovecraft. And I hope, I hope that anyone ends up in the fiction. I hope that it, whatever gets you to read the fiction, uh, is okay by me. Yes. And, and you know, the other bonus of a board game, uh, which to say, this cannot happen with a role-playing game. It's just usually a little more rare uh, is you get the experience or, or at least a, uh, uh, a complete experience from 
beginning of the board game to the end of the board game. There's a resolution at the end, um, but you get a full experience instead of maybe with role-playing games that may take multiple sessions. You know, certainly with a con game, you know, hopefully you're engineering a scenario where you get a complete experience in a single sitting. Uh, but, you know, board games are typically designed where you're going to, you're going to achieve something, whether you lose or win, you've got a full experience by the end of the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of, people play it in a way like a campaign in the sense that it's so challenging and you lose a lot. That's mm-hmm. a criticism for some people. Um, for me, I, I find cooperative games should be running about 30% victory, you know, to, to be, yeah, Chal- I mean, you know, challenging. Isn't that part of the point? It's hard. It's difficult to win. Mm-hmm. And that should be part of the point, I would think. And it's kind of a badge of courage with certain, you know, I don't, did we mention there are different scenarios, right? So it depends on what you pick. You could be picking the, the cult of Yig or Yig. Uh, the, uh, you could be picking um, Azathoth. And I remember that Azathoth is one of the most challenging, almost impossible. So it's kind of a badge of courage of, uh, of honor to say, oh man, we finally beat Azathoth. You know, it's kind of a, it's not a campaign in the sense that, you know, of a role playing game, but there is a, every Sunday, let's try to beat this thing. And, uh, you know, people who finally do have a sense of accomplishment. Yep. I would agree. I would agree. Uh, moving on, uh, uh again, Fantasy Flight, and that, you know, Fantasy Flight, I, maybe because, you know, Cthulhu's in the, uh, uh, you know, open source or whatever, you know, they, they have several games that are skinned in Cthulhu. Mansions of Madness is a, is a really, I really, really love this game. Uh, I have everything, uh, that they've published for Mansions of Madness. Um, and it's, it's one of these games where, one player is the keeper, and then the other players in the game play the investigators. Uh, and so the keeper has a scenario that he's chosen to run. Um, you seed the board with certain clues, and uh, there is a narrative uh, to this game. In fact, as you find the, uh, the clue cards, uh, the players are supposed to read the, these clues because they're not just, uh, flavor text and then you're, you know, you could skip it and just go to some sort of a mechanic, you know, that might say, oh, you get a, you know, plus 10 on your next combat or something or whatever. These clue cards, the narrative is part of the game. So you read these clue cards and there could be little hints in there as far as where should you go next on the board to find the next clue. Uh, you know, as you're fighting, uh, Mansion's Madness has a timer element to it. So you're fighting against a clock, you know, so things are going to be occurring at certain intervals in the game that the keeper gets to, you know, push those elements onto the board and, and, uh, combat against the, uh, the players and all the players work together to, you know, fight the clock, fight the enemy, solve the mystery and, 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 and put it down, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And, you know, it, uh, uh, is, uh, strong with miniatures. You know, they use a lot of uh, miniatures in this game, whereas with, uh, both Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror, you know, you can use miniatures, but 
uh, due to the uh, vast number that's available in the game, that they're typically represented by uh, you know cardboard tokens. Uh, but uh, Mansions of Madness, one of its strengths is that you're running a miniatures game. Yeah, I like the spatial relations part of that. I do like games where you are actually moving between squares in a space that's specific rather than abstracted. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Like- and it's beautiful. The art, mm-hmm. you know, and the boards and the, the sculpts are, are beautiful. Yeah, I like that game. I, again, for the same reasons, I don't want to rehash, but I, I recommend other horror games as well that kind of do the same thing where it's cooperative, but it's not necessarily mythos. I really, really like Betrayal at the House of, uh, on, of the Hill. Betrayal mm-hmm. uh, of House on the Hill is what it's called, <laughs> um, which kind of does the same thing. It's got a, you're exploring a house. Uh, somebody becomes a traitor at some point in the game mm-hmm. and it kind of shifts. So it's got a couple of different interesting phases. And I think that might be so far my favorite horror board game or board cool, yeah. okay. role-playing board game. I haven't played walking dead. Uh, I've heard that that's good. I've, I've heard that Z apocalypse is really good. Mm-hmm. Haven't played that yet. I have played uh, last night on earth and I really enjoyed that. That kind of has that same you yeah. know, spatial, um, you know, you're walking around a, a specific uh, geography rather than abstracted. Yeah. yeah, my 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 hands down, my favorite horror board game is Mansions of Madness. Mansions, uh, yeah, yeah. I just like I said, I, I have everything for it. I I love the the well thought out uh, scenarios and the clue cards that go with it, and the the uh, the narrative that goes with those clue cards. So when you're reading something, it might say. You know, there could be a clue and, and whoever, whoever, you know, story-wise, whoever might be the author of that clue, because you might, maybe you're finding a, uh, you found a page torn out from somebody's diary or something, and it might be talking about, you know, the horrors in the lab or, you know, I, I stashed, uh, I stashed the, the idol in the, uh, in the freezer. Uh, and you might just say the freezer. So then when you're looking at the map board, you go, okay, there's a kitchen in this um, on this map. It has a freezer, but then there's also uh, a private, you know, laboratory. Maybe this mad doctor had a laboratory, and there's a walk-in freezer there. So the players look at this and they go, "I bet our next clue is in one of these two locations." And that's how it's typically like that, where you know, uh, when you read the text, you go, "Okay, we need to." As we decipher this, we need to go here or here next. So they try to give you a couple of choices to, uh, you know, uh, make the players have to make choices. You know, do we go and explore this way or do we go and explore this way? And uh, so it's not quite so linear. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I'd, I'd love it. Mm. Have you ever played a game called Witch of Salem? That's another one that should be on this list. I haven't played it yet, but that's one that I would like to get. I would too, and I've heard that it improves upon, people call it uh, Arkham Horror Light. Yep. So, again, it's a kind of streamlining. I'm, I'd be curious it's, to play it. It seems to have a feel very much like Chaosium's 1980s version. 
Oh, really? Arkham Horror. Yeah. Okay. The the look and feel of it, uh, mm-hmm. but I have not played it yet. Uh, but I've seen it on the shelf. I need to get it. Uh, next up is um, uh, one that I have not played. I, I believe Dan has uh, Cthulhu Wars. Oh yeah, that's big. Yes, the the Sandy Peterson Juggernaut. It looks amazing. Yeah, this is. Yeah, we we gave this a lot of coverage as the uh, the Kickstarter progressed, and now it's not only done, but the game is actually reaching people. It's it's in the hands of buyers, and uh, it'll be on its way to game stores. So this is something that's now going to be attainable soon. And if I remember correctly, you and give it a, a positive review generally in, in its not not yeah. just its prettiness, but its game gameplay. Yeah. See, I don't really do board games very much because I have uh, a very severe um, competition deficiency. <laughs> okay. I I just don't have an interest in competing with anybody. I just don't have see the point. And so in any kind of games that are competitive in nature, I lose by default because I don't care. Gotcha. And so I know this about me. And so, yeah, if I, I that's why I like uh, cooperative yeah, games. That's a, that's a big uh, alternative um, that's been really important yeah. for gaming in my life. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice thing yeah. about, and so yeah, that's a nice thing about the Arkham Horror Eldritch Horror and from the side of the players, mm-hmm. the mansions, the madness is it is cooperative. You guys are working together. Exactly. And even with RPGs, you know, you're cooperative as the team, but even the GM, you know, really isn't a, an, a, an opponent in that. Oh, it you know, at least not. That's not the way it should be. Yeah, well, it depends. I don't know about should. Yeah, I know but, that's there's yeah. <laughs> there's there's a lot of classic D and D of you know us versus him sort of thing. But I wouldn't play in one of those games. I just wouldn't enjoy it. So whenever I played Cthulhu Wars, which is a competitive board game. I played it at Gen Con 2013. Sandy Peterson was running it. Um, Paul Fricker was one of the other players. I played the Cthulhu faction, and it was a lot of fun. And of course, I lost. But I just also don't have a tactical way of thinking. It just doesn't, you know, it's just not me. But this game, I would own just for the minis. Sure, yeah. It, it is beautiful. This is just, as far as I like to think of it, these miniatures are kind of my official take on these creatures. I could easily say this is, def- well, for one of them, this should be definitively how a dark young looks. Mm-hmm. Because Sandy created the creature for the, for Call of Cthulhu. And he had the artist create this sculpture. So this is the definitive Dark Young. Yeah, I've seen some but, uh, some folks that have painted 
their uh, their minis, and oh, they're amazing. I loved this one artist. I've not seen any painted ones yeah, yet. Yeah, if you go to uh, Board Game Geek, uh, people in the in the photo uh, section, in the images or uh, you know, the videos and stuff, the the images have got some amazing pictures. I saw one picture of the uh, Shuttlesworth uh, faction painted up, and just amazing, just amazing. Yeah, that's I mean, all of these are just spectacular in the sculpting and I think work really well as this is what I am going to use for my Call of Cthulhu campaign. These are the definitive looks for these species and I would totally go with that because these are just amazing and creepy. Yeah, awesome. Yes. And, and scale-wise, I just love them. You know, the the large, yeah. great old ones, and you scale down from there. It's just uh, a lot of a lot of great uh, thought and design went into the Google Wars. I could not afford yeah. to get into the uh, Kickstarter. A buddy of mine did. I haven't uh, gotten to play yet, but hopefully, at some point, he and I can get together and play. Uh, I have heard that it has alternate rules that you have to use for a two-player game, so we need to find a third player that uh, we rope in to have a good three- or four-player game. But I, I, you know, I, I'll save my pennies and and hopefully get the uh, core game at some point. Uh, and you know, with the expansions, you know, uh, if they become available as uh, standalone purchases, you know, to to buy on and expand for the game, I. I would try and do that at some point too, just because I'm a a nutcase, and whenever I try and get into a game, I, I buy everything for it. So I wish I could have afforded the, uh, the Kickstarter at the time. Yeah, I know, me too. Uh, but you know, it's it's one of those that whenever it does become available to get, I would recommend getting it, even just for the artwork yeah. and the minis and. Is it's just gorgeous, and there are, and it was a lot of fun to play. Yeah, there, I was gonna say there are some great videos out there. I've already watched uh, a video that's yeah. a, uh, a setup or a, an overview of the rules, and then I've watched a couple of videos uh, of uh, actual play. Uh, so it looks really fun. I mean, and fast. You know, I like the uh, the way that everybody's faction uh, builds up and tears down. It's up and tears down. I mean, you, you're, there's no there's no real player elimination, you know, because even if you feel like you've been eliminated, you're, you're able to build up your your power and, and come back again. So, yeah, and it's just kind of fun watching these mythos deities duking it out. I mean, this is like a a uh, kaiju fight on just an outlandish scale. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so let's move on. Um, I see on our list, uh, Munchkin Cthulhu. Um, I don't know if you guys have played it. I have it. I've played it. Um, mm-hmm. It's Munchkin. I've played regular Munchkin before. Yeah, and you've played it. It's Munchkin. Yeah, I mean, my... So we, we've okay. got a cluster here, and I don't know if you want to say anything more specific, but I, Munchkin Cthulhu, Cthulhu Gloom, and Cthulhu Flux to me are... They're all versions of something that had you know, has have an original. And again, being slightly a crank about this, 
I, in every case, I recommend the originals uh, or, or other versions. Munchkin, I mean, Munchkin Cthulhu is a, already a joke. It's already meant to be in jokes. Yeah. It's a comedy game. Yeah. My problem with Munchkin Cthulhu is that for a joke, the game should be shorter. It is way too long. It can just go on and on and on. And the joke just runs it for me. It just runs too long. Um, you know, I would probably, ha- I, I do a house rule. say let's just get up to level five instead of getting up to level 10. It's just, and is, oh. that, I haven't played a lot of Munchkin, but that's the same of all Munchkin, right? I mean, exactly. It's, it's, right. It just the joke rolls on too long. Um, I will, uh, and, and I do agree with you as far as Cthulhu flux and Cthulhu, uh, uh, and Munchkin Cthulhu, you know, they're, they're variants of the original and, Really, you know, either or. I mean, honestly, because it is so uh, close to each other, um, I personally would probably just go with the Cthulhu version of either, uh, because I like the uh, I like the theme. You know, uh, I do uh, think that uh, Cthulhu Gloom is actually uh, uh, a better redesign of original Gloom, uh, really? mainly because. The uh, the mechanic of of um, the untimely death, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in original gloom, you have to reach. You know, of course, in gloom. For those who aren't familiar, you know, it uses these uh, transparent uh, cards, and you're laying cards on top of each other. Well, once you actually get an untimely death in original gloom, you have to reach all the way under to the to the base card. You know, the the family member and flip that over and there's the death side of that family member in Cthulhu gloom because of the uh, new mechanics of, of the way that they've improved uh, some of the uh, event cards and things like that. You have other cards in your hand that have center artwork that are not necessarily untimely mm. death cards. So when you're holding your hand, and the other players are seeing through these transparent cards, they can't just point at your hand and go, well, you're obviously holding two untimely death cards. No, no, you may not be. They could be very easily event cards or other cards uh, that are uh, uh, versions of, the, of, a, of a modifier card, whether it's a uh, perpetual uh, uh, modification or continual. They have... Uh, uh, different uh, stats for those. So you don't know what your opponents are holding just because there's center artwork on those cards. And so now the untimely death is an actual card in your hand so that when you play that, you're just simply playing it at the top of the stack. And now that that character dies, I, the mechanic is much more smooth. You're not having to dig under the, the pile and uh, and try and flip a card. They also have uh, modifiers now that you can play on dead family members, and it'll say, like the card will have text that says, place directly under the uh, the untimely death card of a dead family member. So now you can, you can even do modifications uh, occasionally. It's not very rampant. There's only a very small number of cards that do this, but you can play them directly underneath the untimely death card. 
Uh, I think that they got the mechanics better and smoother in Cthulhu. That's an interesting point. I think I think we sort of wandered into the weeds there of the game before giving any context. That just to to give a brief there, the game is about you have a family and you are um, tr- actually trying to contribute to their misfortune and demise using different cards that are transparent. And so each for each family member, you put down a card that is transparent so you can still see the original family member and it introduces some calamity to them and gives you a, a plus or minus toward your goal. And what you want to do is go toward the minus because you want to kill them off in some tragedy. So it ends up being a story of what happened to this family member they, you know, slipped off of a ship or they, wh- whatever these events are, they stack up and finally they die. They married a marsh. They uh, got lost in a library. Yeah. All kinds right. of stuff. Right. And I think the, the mechanical um, point is, is really good, but I still would mostly recommend Gloom uh, personally because I've played Cthulhu Gloom a couple of times with people who are not steeped in mythos stuff like we are. And Marsh, the name Marsh just means nothing to someone who, you know, who isn't familiar. And so I find that it is kind of a storytelling game if you can get people telling stories. Like you don't really need to, right? The mechanic, you can just play it as a straight card game. But most people enjoy kind of, and then what happens is, you know, and, and kind of, almost role-playing and, and storytelling. And I find that with original Gloom, everyone can relate to what is essentially an Edward Gorey uh, world or Lemony Snicket world where things, just bad things happen to people. And it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of comedy and, and, and dark comedy, right? Um, so I think the mechanical point's good. I wish that Gloom had the same fix. And maybe another edition will. but. I just find that unless I'm playing with like you guys, if I, if I were in a hotel room in Gen Con and we, we pulled out Cthulhu Gloom, I'd, I'd probably prefer Cthulhu Gloom because we all know the in-jokes. You know, it's kind of, we can extrapolate on the stories. But I find, found that it was uh, a barrier for people playing who were not familiar with the mythos. That's a very strong point. You're right. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, let's see. Let's kind of skip down to Cthulhu Dice. Um, contrary to Munchkin Cthulhu, uh, Cthulhu Dice is also made by Steve Jackson Games. This is a very fast, mm-hmm. um, you know, filler game. Uh, and it can, I mean, it has a single 12 sided die and little tokens that you're sliding either to the center of the table or sliding to other players. And, uh, you know, you want to be the, last player standing with tokens. Um, so there's player elimination and whatnot. It's fun. It's, you know, quick and easy. I like mm-hmm. it. I have a copy. Yeah, yeah it's fun. great to have it in your pocket. I mean, it's a super easy one. You can play it at a restaurant, you know, while you're waiting for your food with people. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like it. It also doesn't violate that kind of... It doesn't have that problem of uh, demystifying the mythos as far right. as that, that objection goes. Yeah, there's not, there's no, uh, you know, you're playing uh, uh, cultists and and you're worshiping Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. So, but you you're not really learning anything about Cthulhu. It's just a it's a quick and dirty dice game. It's, yep, it's yep. fun. Feed the Shagath is you know obviously I've heard of it. We've covered it 
here on the show, I have not played it. Yeah, well, it's um, I only got to play it in playtesting at Necronomicon with Murph. Um, I can't say enough good things about this, and you know, maybe that's a little incongruous because of what I've just said about other Mythos games. But it's it's not heavy on teaching Mythos things. It's pretty intuitive. It, it, it's the cards give you little stories and things that happen. Um, I don't find them to be, uh, you know, I would play it with somebody who isn't familiar with the mythos. It does have a Shoggoth in the middle of the table that you pass around. That's, you know, I think somebody who doesn't know about the mythos could just see it as a weird monster and, you know, you could give them extra information about where it came from or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it just plays really well. It's, it's just incredibly fun. I played it with a bunch of people who, who are familiar with the mythos and that was a blast. And I really want this for myself. I wasn't, I didn't have the funds when this was going through its Kickstarter. So um, I want to, I want to secure a copy sometime soon. Um, What's board? Oh, it's on board game. Yeah, there we go. Is it, is it available yet? I was having a tough time finding links for it. I don't think it's available yet. I think the the Kickstarter is still being uh, uh, satisfied. Fulfilled, yeah. Yeah, the people are, you know, the the backers are going to get their copies first, as it should be, you know, being a Kickstarter. And then eventually it'll it'll trickle down to hopefully it'll it'll have enough uh, of a a production that it can trickle down to retail stores. But, I mean, Board Game Geek, typically has an entry on things even during the uh, development phase. So Right. Uh, the Doom that came to Atlantic City is a Cthulhu Monopoly, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it got all kind of, uh, right? It's, it, it got awards and stuff, and I, I don't... I mean, the, the it, Yeah, board, it, I'm pretty sure it has completely different rules. Okay, are you sure? I don't know. I mean, uh, the board, it looks like Monopoly. You know, in Atlantic City. Yes, well, this was the game that the Kickstarter was defaulted on by the guy running the campaign. He, like, stole all the money leaving the backers and the game designers high and dry. And Cryptozoic came in and they kind of claimed the game and manufactured it and gave copies to all of the backers. Yeah. And a heroic effort by a company to do some good. Yeah. Yeah. That was just staggeringly awesome. And now you can just buy it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, but as far as the actual gameplay, I'm honestly not that sure. I thought it was at least image. similar. Yeah, if you look at a a picture, I'm looking at a picture of the board, and I mean, it's a square board. You go around. It looks like you buy uh, properties, and I mean, it looks like it looks like Monopoly. I think it, it's cool uh, in Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, maybe they messed with the mechanics. I, I certainly hope they do, because as far as reviewing, I, you know, it's weird to review this without having played it, but I kind of can't stand Monopoly. And, I, you know, I think it's been rightly criticized as far as game design, and the way it, it eliminates players, the way that it, um, 
you know, it just drags on and on. Nobody really ever finishes one, especially if you're playing as a kid. And it's incredible that it was so popular given, you know, all the great designs that we've seen come out over the last 20 years. Yeah. But it looks like it has some amazing sculpts to the t- to the uh, tokens. Yep, there's some pretty stuff going on, and maybe they fixed some of those mechanics. You know, maybe they they did some editing. Maybe, but uh, yeah, I hate to say this, but I'm I'm sort of not really drawn to something that's built on a monopoly foundation. Yeah, I just I really kind of doubt it because of the simple fact that so many people backed the thing. I just don't really think there would be that many people backing it if it was just a reskinned Monopoly. Well, it may be reskinned plus it's definitely reskinned. I mean, if you look at the board, it's, you know, a bunch of hotels and um, developments on avenues with, you know, the board look exactly like Monopoly. The card decks are chance and community chest. Yeah. Oh. Well, isn't it Tome and Doom? Okay. Uh, I guess. I mean, but one has a question mark and one has a yeah. uh, a chest. You know, it looks like a footlocker. Right. So I think it's meant to be a send-up of, of Monopoly. The question is whether they fixed any of the problems Monopoly has in the rules. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay, yeah, now I see... And instead of the passing go, it's yeah. me go. Yeah. How clever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's closely referencing the board game. The question is whether or not it plays yeah. any better than the board game. I certainly hope so. But again, I don't want to review because I have not played it. Um, I know. Yeah. Just my, my, what little probably uninformed knowledge is that it's a reskin of Monopoly. But I, I could be completely wrong. It's got some kind of different mechanics because there's there's like a if you look at the player cards there's Haster and different old ones and they yeah um, and even there's other tokens yeah. as well there's tentacle tokens and it looks yeah. like a silhouette of some kind of investigator type of token or something I don't know. looks like maybe a doom track so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of a mashup um, yeah. I would play it I'd probably play it at a con I probably wouldn't buy it. Um, Unless I played it at con and thought I couldn't do without it. Right. Yep. That may be my Yeah. Let me uh, give a description here uh, from Board Game Geek. Uh, game description from the publisher. You're one of the great old ones. Beings of ancient and eldritch power. Cosmic forces have held you at bay for untowed aeons. But at last the stars are right and your maniacal cult has called you to this benighted place. Once you regain your full powers, you will unleash your doom upon the world. There's only one problem. You're not alone. The other great old ones are here as well, and your rivals are determined to steal your cultists and snatch victory from your flabby claws. It's a race to the ultimate finish as you crush houses, smash holes in reality, and fight to call down the doom that came to Atlantic City. And there are two ways to win... Any great old one can win by attaining six gates, at which point the game instantly ends. You have only five gate markers, because if you open a sixth gate, you win. At the start of the game, each great old one receives a doom card, providing a shortcut to victory. If you land on one of your gates and meet the preconditions, you can attempt the action listed on the card. So, 
yeah, that sounds like some definite differences mm-hmm. they put yeah. in there. So it sounds like you're actually trying to do something other than just acquire property. But it looks like you're still just going around the square board yeah. and, yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah. Yeah. Sounds like they took the initial concept and reworked it into, you're destroying the places yeah, you're visiting. Yeah. So maybe you load every property up with hotels and you gotta start crushing them down to houses and then from houses down to nothing. Who knows? But <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome, I mean, I'll, actually. I'll check it out if there's any uh, videos and whatnot. I'll check it out and see if it's something that I would uh, look forward to maybe trying to play at a con or something. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, if a listener has been. And check out some of the YouTube videos yep. of it. If there are any listeners who have played it and find that it is superior to Monopoly, I'd love to hear about that. Yes. Make that a uh, an audio segment. Send that in. Sure. Yeah. There's a couple that we didn't mention. I guess Innsmouth Escape. I, I didn't put them in because I haven't played them, but um that's supposed to be nice from two thousand eight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen it. I've thought about getting it a couple of times. The component, I mean, this is just me again. I haven't played it, but the components look very cheap and it's just paper. Okay. And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look very, I don't know. Not impressive. It, it didn't, yeah. I, I thought about it, you know, cause the box art is amazing. And then I was like, Oh, let me check this out. And then I, I kind of did a little bit of extra research and I was like, well, that's that's it. It's just the components, and it it didn't thrill me, uh, so okay. I passed on that. And I think it's made by the same uh, Twilight Studios. I think makes it uh, the same people that do uh, the the zombies. Uh, oh yeah, game with you know they've got all kinds of different uh, expansions for that. So yeah, zombies exclamation point. Yes. I one that I found from 1983 that I stumbled on when doing looking at possible games to cover is called Dark Cults. It's a card game, and it's pretty obscure. So this is a this is a deep cut, and I've I've never had it, never played it. But when I started looking at the artwork, it's it's really incredibly beautiful. Um, I have no idea about the gameplay, given you know game that board and card game development in 1983. I'm a little, a little skeptical, honestly, I found, you know, a lot of the best games have, have come out more recently. Um, but geez, the artwork is, is just fantastic. And it turns out that to try to find, I think I found a copy on eBay for a hundred dollars. <laughs> so wah, wah. that ain't going to happen. Uh, I'll put it in there though if you wanna. If anybody wants to bid on this thing, uh, boom, dark cults. But if you can find the artwork, uh, I can see why it's a collector's item. Uh, I'm gonna try to find some artwork though, because if there's just no point unless you can see the artwork. I mean, this is oh wow, that's very that cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a storytelling game. Which is amazing because I storytelling games I don't think of as being from the eighties. Um, that in a way it's not very competitive, but these cards um, have you develop a narrative 
for a character. Very cool. There's tons of other ones I, I stumbled on on the, I think it's the same as the, it's the same site that I often find free versions of Lovecraft stories. It's not Dagon Bites. It's called hplovecraft.com. Okay. Yeah. And it has a huge list of, of games. Yeah. Many that we haven't covered. And that only covers th- this website hasn't been updated since like about 2011 or so. So there have been, there's been an explosion of mythos games since then, but this has a mm-hmm. nice catalog up to that point. Yeah. Elder Sign. Did we talk about Elder Sign? Oh, no, we did not. No. Yeah. Nope. I haven't okay. played it. Have you, John? I have. I've, uh, so Elder Sign is a, is a, is a dice game again, made by Fantasy Flight set in the uh, Arkham Horror universe. Um, the, uh, the concept is that you're inside a museum in, uh, in Arkham, uh, and doing some exploring there. Uh, it's a really, it's a nice, uh, mechanic because you're trying to, uh, achieve certain tests and there's, there's positive and negative end results to making those tests. Um, and there's a doom track and, you know, very similar to Arkham Horror and, and things like that, where there's a doom track and then the great old one is coming. Uh, I'm so, I totally forgot about, uh, this. The, uh, I first started playing it, uh, actually on my phone on a, on a, uh, on an app. And the Arkham Horror okay. app is amazing. It's so much fun. I really enjoy it. Um, okay. and then I did recently get a copy of the actual board and dice game. And I have not played it yet. Um, and there's a couple of expansions, I think, that have come out for it. Um, I don't think I've got any expansions. I actually, I got my copy through a, a board game geek, uh, trade. I did some, uh, game trading with a, with another geek. Okay. Uh, and I ended up, uh, acquiring, uh, Elder Sign that way. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I loved, and still love the uh, the app on my phone. So every now and then I, I might play a game on my phone, and that's it's a good good game. Awesome, cool. I think it even more is like an Arkham Horror Light. Okay. Light. And that's one that we're there's a video of uh, the group playing on tabletop. Oh, cool! Yeah, they covered that. That's my experience with the game. Is I've watched it on tabletop. Yeah. See, uh, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day and Bill Prady, Mike Moraine. I, I don't know who those other two guys are, but you know, watch uh, Felicia Day playing a Mythos game. That's that's always nice. There you go. <laughs> She's cool. She's ridiculous in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I watched it yet. It ridiculous. we want to hear from our listeners we have lots different ways you can reach out to us our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com we also have a twitter account at mu underscore podcast and you can join our irc channel on the feedback page of the website we have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number, 
area code 401-400-0-MUP. That's area code 401-400-0687. Or you can use the SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask us a question, leave us a liner, say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University Podcast. And give us a hearty Go Pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 73. That's the number, 73. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come join the community and be a part of the conversations. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dan, I didn't see you there. Uh, Clearly I was not openly mocking you.